indicates that we're here in the dissect podcast studio you know i think we're the only ones who can actually hear that noise actually i think you're right there was a beep (laughs) there was a beep (laughs) that noise i mean that intro whatever the fuck happens i don't know well (laughs) welcome anyway whether you're hearing noise or not you now hear us which is an indication that it has started i'm here with mark i'm michael blevins i am joined we are joined here by a friend of mine adam giles um, effectively known as Gilesy. I don't even think I knew your first name no. for the first year. Yeah, a lot of people don't. I just I, call you Giles. Yeah, I, it's a nickname. It, it keeps every time I ditch it, it yeah. comes back. Like someone <laughs> in Britain, basically, to get a nickname, all you do is put a Y on the end of someone's surname, and that's basically your nickname for pretty much your entire life. We're uh, we're a really <laughs> artistic, adventurous bunch. We're nicknames. I, I was going to say people are far more imaginative here in the yeah. colonies. <laughs> There, I mean, you do get some people like you. Ha- there are. Uh, I'm doing us an injustice. There are some amazing nicknames I've heard come mm. out of the UK, but typically, if you kind of don't have an affectionate one, you like can like oh, we'll just put a Y on the end of your name. And that's that's you done. Why <laughs> <Put a Y laughs> yeah. end of your name? Yeah, it's, it's really simple. But um, so yeah, I kind of got that through sports teams growing up, and then through work, and then I joined a gym, and where we met, and kind of they did the same thing. I- I've enjoyed the whole past week because I think it took me like <laughs> six weeks to understand like that it was giant. I was just like mumbling something. Yeah. I, like, I don't know. It's some name with marbles in your mouth. Yeah. And then, and then I get that pleasure of introducing you to my friends. Like, oh, this is my friend Gilesy. And they're excuse me, what? Yeah. Like, and you're like, it's Adam. And yeah. Like, why the fuck would Michael do that? He's fucking with us. But really, no. I'm it's just, Americans typically not sort not to rag on you, but like, don't don't get the Gilesy thing. So like, a, hang on, what what is that name? Uh, British people pick it up really quickly, but like Americans, I've always been like, it's, for, it's Adam. Let's go with Adam. It's way they're easier. They're looking for like the Greek root of like where, <laughs> yeah. where the name comes yeah. from. Don't realize it's <laughs> as simple as Giles with a Y on the end of it yeah. <laughs> fair enough so uh, this is this is really good because you had a podcast a fitness podcast that i was on when you were uh, yeah at the at the gym that i met you at in perpetua what was, it? What was the name so it was at perpetua but was it the perpetua podcast i was called was... the live unbroken podcast because yeah. perpetua means unbroken in latin um it was all about un- like unbroken continuous circle like obviously mm-hmm. that had a connotation to crossfit being uh, sure stuff is supposed to be unbroken mm-hmm. um which is i thought it was as humorous. rx'd well, yeah. I, yeah i think that's humorous yeah. because essentially crossfit will break you eventually yeah so. which i learned as all crossfitters do after a couple of years, you're kind of like, oh, right, now I am broken. Yeah, a, a sport of shoulder injuries, apparently. Yep. I've is, got that, two. is that what happened for you, is the shoulders? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're I mean, kind if it, of... If it only happened after a couple of years, that's, you actually lasted longer than yeah. most. Yeah, I put myself... Like, I beat myself... I've, I'm, I've learned that I'm fairly resilient. I think growing up playing like rugby and ice hockey, like lots of compact sport, contact yeah. sport, sorry. Um, I think my body's been more resilient. I hit like mid thirties and then everything started going a bit south in terms of like, oh right, this hurts and that hurts. And all the injuries that I'd managed to like recover from actually didn't recover from and they kind of came back stronger. <laughs> Just you wait. Yeah. he says in a shoulder sling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fairly uh, doomsday-ish. This, yeah. this was not. This was not a result of me putting my no. putting my, you know, putting any weight overhead. No, uh, weight <laughs> on top of maybe. I well, I mean the 
I think actually. So after the, so the first injury, 93 first, and I didn't have the surgery. Went, I basically did the, the hardest climbs of my career with, with this the shoulder. Sure. And then in 2006, um, ruptured the biceps tendon, which was the only thing holding my shoulder together, essentially, oh. which was awesome because as soon as it like busted yeah. and like balled up or down around my elbow, all the pain in my shoulder went away. <laughs> I was just like momentarily, I was like, oh my God, it doesn't fucking hurt. That doesn't really work either. Yeah. But it just doesn't hurt. And then so I had that, Oh no, my arms. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> Stick it back <laughs> on. This is a lose lose situation. There. And so t- October 2006, I had the surgery. And then uh, April 2008, I crashed at the Tour of the Depot and oh. kind of fucked it up a little bit oh. and did my AC joint. Also, really? went back to my surgeon. He said, oh, the AC joint, it's only like a grade two, and we don't normally repair those anyway unless it's really bad. So, um, yeah, get back out there, kid. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, like, not even a cortisone <laughs> injection yeah. for my fucking pain. You know, like, uh, anyway, so. Walk it off. It'll be, be exa- fine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Here, have a hit of this uh, sugary carbonated beverage or whatever. Anyway. Um, <laughs> That lasted about 12 years, um, but it was slowly degrading. Like it was mm-hmm. still, it was starting to affect my sleep a little bit. And then I had a, you know, being an aged individual, <laughs> I had a little slip and fall, which, <laughs> which happens apparently as yeah. you get older. Um, oftentimes, you know, you, you end up drowning in the bathtub when that happens, but I was actually, <laughs> we're going to change aged to, yeah. uh, mature time deficient. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am now the time crunched athlete because there ain't much left. Because mortality is not on the right side. Because TikTok. Yeah, and I just, um, I, uh, I, I mean, it was a, it was a totally stupid, benign situation where feet came out from under me, and you know, I put my hand out, and that popped it in July, and I thought, okay, just a strain, whatever, it'll get better. And then by the point, by the by the time that I couldn't that it was painful to put a 16 pound bicycle on the roof of my low car. I decided, all right, this is not getting any better. It's got to, it's got to get fixed. Function. Yeah. So, um, so I guess it was putting weight overhead. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, that was actually just the messenger. It wasn't there. <laughs> I find I mean, it often is that is the messenger. You're like, Oh no, this is not good. It's yeah. a signal to yeah. stop. Actually, maybe you're right. <laughs> I, this is, uh, this is fairly cool because, um, uh, we talk a lot about, you know, kind of the gym business model yeah. and how it's essentially broken. Like it does not, it doesn't incentivize good people to stay in it. And from what I've noticed, uh, I it, mean, as, as gym owners uh, or, or, or gym or participants or people okay. who I would just say in general, as people who want to, uh, be a part of fitness, I'll even be an asshole and combine the fitness and health uh, spectrum who, who want to. Uh, be influential in that space. That could mean anything. It could be a coach. It could just be, you know, a trainer, whatever. Somebody who has felt the benefits of the practice and wants to pass that on to other people. And also because that takes time, want to make some money doing it. The The industry doesn't support it very well. And this is one of the, the, the hardest topics to talk about because no one wants to ever come at it from the aspect of like, the unsuccessful person. Mm. Um, but I am inherently super unsuccessful in trying to monetize what I actually love. Like 
I mean, the, this podcast is a fer- perfect example. Stuff that we love to do, but we have to do other things in order to support it. And I feel like fitness is almost the same. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, why this is cool that you're here um, is because when I first met you, you were just starting this journey. Yeah. Right? Like you were just, I think you're on your apprenticeship under Oz. Yeah. And uh, you've been training, obviously getting better at something. Do you, do you want to walk us through like the first part of that? And then maybe I can interject with, uh, sure. with things, observations that I've had. I mean, I, just before I do, it's also super cool because when we met, obviously you were, you were like way further down the kind of road that I was in terms of fitness journey and stuff. The and, wrong road just to well, be like, I was. <laughs> I, I, the reason I say that is because CrossFit, you know, Rather, I don't want to rag and cross it because there's, there's bits that I really like about it and there's mm-hmm. bits that I struggle with a little bit. But you were the one of the first so, people. it's like life. <laughs> <laughs> Very much like life. I think, yeah. Um, but, that, you know, I was, I was like totally bored in, drinking the Kool-Aid, like, you know, all the rest of it. And it was interesting talking to you and some other people as well that was around us at the time that kind of were talking about different things that other people were talking about. So it's really cool kind of as a 360 to be kind of here talking to you guys because obviously, you know, some of the things that we've talked about and, and some of the things that I've kind of followed, uh, you know, I listen to the podcast and some of the, th- the things you guys talk about have been things that have um, helped me down the road, if you like, kind of been signals or signposts. So it's, it's kind of nice for me to be kind of sitting here talking to you even about you know, my journey um, just because of that. So it's, it's really cool to be here from that point of view. Um, in terms of where I got started, I, I've always been into sport and fitness mm-hmm. that I kind of, it's it, it, like, I'm atypical of the type of person that you speak to that decided to do one, do CrossFit, two, end up coaching it. Mm-hmm. Really into sport and fitness. Um, I have been quite keen on understanding why like i read a simon sinnett book that probably most people have heard of kind of start with why um made me think about why i do things and ultimately that is because i want to help myself and others be better than they were the day before so like that trying trying to that's somewhat growth mm-hmm. uh, apologies i know you have banned words so if i stumble on any of them please don't shame me we, too much we actually don't have them anymore we uh, oh we, you banned the banned words we, yeah yeah how meta <laughs> <laughs> We've come full circle and now we embrace all words. All nice. words, yes, because it, we have grown. <gasps> We've evolved. We've evolved. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, I kind of stumbled through that, and then I was like, well, I was doing a lot of training on my own. I kind of got to the point where I really struggled to train with others. I was like, mm. um, I didn't really know what stimuli I wanted to engage with, so I just started doing a lot of like home bodybuilding and kind of like, like push-ups pull-ups just ge- general fitness stuff and this is on the back of participation in sport yeah so i played which... i played hockey to uh, ice hockey was end up being my main sport i played football rugby tennis like everything anything that was like competitive like tiddlywinks like like anything i could do that was like competitive against someone else and i'm, I'm not i'm not a particularly gifted athlete i'm you know go and work out in a crossfit gym i'd be average at like maybe dependent on it like i've been in a few competitive environments team wise and i've probably been the bottom third of that that team like i'm i'm not by any stretch i'm a- average which is perfect for crossfit i'm mm. average at everything <laughs> um and i'll happily describe myself as such but um so sport growing i was just had a real tenacity like hockey people liked me and coaches like me in the team because i just chase the puck be a real nuisance i'm a physical guy like i get in people's face i'm 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 gonna 
I'm going to aggravate you more than I have skill. So they were kind of like, right, you go up and just frustrate people, and then we'll put the skill players on to kind of do the do the do the, the tr- nice work to clean up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just get in the way. I'm like, okay, I can do that. Um, so then that kind of, as you imagine, ice hockey in Britain isn't that big. So I was just going to, you know, everyone's like, you played hockey growing up. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, Were you from really? Canada? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it's amazing you've been in canada for so long and you retained your accent <laughs> yeah <laughs> barely everyone's like where are you from i've got a weird accent because i grew up with a lot of americans and canadians okay um and i'm really in like i have a very british but very northern american culture kind of clash uh-huh. um so i have a bit of a weird accent as well so a lot of, even people back home are like, where are you from i'm like here <laughs> i grew up in sorry <laughs> like oh oh okay oh, well, yeah. what happened exactly did you, did you get hit in the head or yeah <laughs> pretty <laughs> much <laughs> yeah hockey right um so i kind of stopped that and then it was like what do i do now because it was either go pro or play what we call ed1 which is like a um one step above recreational hockey it's like a lower league hockey in in, in, in the uk and i wasn't good enough to do that really because i decided uh to be a goalkeeper, getting hit in the head, back to your point, like I decided to be a netminder at the age of 13 and my dad was like, oh, you're dead. Uh. <laughs> because you basically, like the amount of money in, in kit, like that poor man sunk into my hockey career. Um, and then and then I tr- transitioned into inline and became a D-man again and kind of went back into that. So I kind of did that and bounced around different sports, played a bit of recreational soccer as well and just kind of, you know, like, like my friends would be like, hey, do you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, cool. And then just did what like, training to support that like um uh like i say a bit of bodybuilding functional functional bodybuilding if you like kind of before that became a thing um uh and picked up you know i did everything like p90x i was like yeah i'll have a go at that like that looks like fun like you know just kind of a and then go to the gym with my friends and then do stuff on my own um and then interestingly a friend of mine a uh, really good friend of mine ended up living with he moved to canada for a bit um the two brothers um the older one moved to canada and came back and was like i found this thing called crossfit you should you'd, you'd love it it's right up your street i was like oh, okay we did a couple of wads and then he kind of moved back to canada then came back and i kind of that was about five then five years went past and then i kind of moved to london and was like oh i quite want to give this crossfit thing a go and um a friend of mine at work her husband set up a crossfit gym called perpetua with mm-hmm. a guy called michael price um he introduced me to aussie um and then kind of the rest was history i kind of got on the crossfit bandwagon and kind of didn't really look back so you had like a taste of it and then this like void where you went back just to do normal stuff and then essentially like like with most people's experience that are eventually drawn to this kind of thing it seems like it's a continuous you know touch and go pattern with like physical things are always there but Mm. nothing really sticks and it's hard with team sports because your experience is dependent on the group having the experience I mean, even like something as stupid as spike ball that we actually both have an affinity for. <laughs> yeah, again, totally average at spike ball. Totally, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure average the Oz whole way was through. a freak. Yeah, uh, but getting four people in a room just to have this experience is a fairly fucking hard thing to do. And I'm sure you, when you're when you're starting out as a climber, it's very very similar. Like getting somebody to take you out with them to have the experience where you have a partner is also kind of hard to do. Oh, you have to lie. Sure. Yeah. You have to tell them you've, you're way more experienced than you are, or they won't take you. Oh, and, which is exactly the and appropriate that's only, thing. And that's only one <laughs> other person. So you look at a team yeah. experience, and you're like, I don't know how many people are on a hockey team. 
Um, it varies, but you, you normally got like three lines of five, two netminders. Yeah, and okay, then, so you need like 30 people yeah. to have this experience. I'm like, I can't even get four people in a room to play spike ball. How the fuck am I going to get a hockey game going? Yeah. So uh, when I see it, like those experiences are contingent on getting a group together and then and you almost disassociate from the physical experience because then the social experience is overwhelming. Like, you know, there's the before and after and the during and you can talk about it with your, your friends. And then by the time you find actually the aspects of physical fitness, it's usually something like bodybuilding, um, which is a, a fairly solo sport. Um, it's, I use the term sport loosely because I think if you're a competitive ball, if you're a competitive bodybuilder, I think of it as like muscle pageantry which I think some people get really offended by, but that's... Well, it's just they don't know the meaning of the word pageant. Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, getting painted orange and putting Vaseline. There's not many differences between a beauty pageant and a muscle pageant. Yeah. I mean, I, I like I expect respect any d discipline someone's yeah. willing to put themselves through. So I think it's cool. But yeah, yeah. I think it's all, people always get touchy when you talk about their sport in a way that they don't appreciate or they don't or, or see, see the, in a way that, that's different than the way they talk about it yeah right. yeah that's, and, and anything that could be perceived as you know sort of speaking down to that sport or, yeah. or judgmental in some way even if it's not it's just like oh no my my description of this sport a discussion about this sport is based on my fundamental misunderstanding yeah um it's it's not a it's just it's just ignorance it's not malicious in any way let's yeah and please help me yeah, well, sure. like powerlifting is essentially pie eating. So the, <laughs> the, the, the kind of the funny thing is like, by the time we get an actual effort experience, like something like cross, it, but it could be anything. It could be running. It could be anything that's hard that we experience by ourselves and see the value of that hard effort is usually at a time when we need it most. And that that's kind of the, uh, I think the really phenomenon that's around this thing is that nobody wants to talk about the effort they're just kind of like an abstraction of exercise and health and that's a really thing hard thing to for people to describe the importance of because now i have this ability to experience this effort on my own and that's powerful yeah. and it drags you in like when the first time i felt it, i was doing something very similar i was doing martial arts muay thai and jujitsu and you know i was only going to the gym to work on the vanity portion of it because I trained really hard in the actual sports. I go train twice a day, wake up early in the morning, go do Muay Thai, come back at night, do Muay Thai and then Jiu Jitsu. And in the afternoon, I try to make it to the gym and I do bodybuilding stuff. But that, I never got the association from the two. I was just like, oh, I want to look, I want to look intimidating when I go to do the sport. And that was the only purpose to do it. And then by the time I felt the effort involved in something like, it was very CrossFit-ish, the first thing that I did, I was like, a light went off and I was like, oh, I don't need a partner. Mm. Like I don't need the sparring partner to enforce the effort on me where I need to fight. I can actually just set up circumstances where I can do this very hard thing and deal with it on my own. So I eliminated the need for other people and that was the powerful mechanism for me. I still wanted people to come do it with me for sure, like partners doing it, but I could always just go to the gym and try to like experience this hard thing. Yeah. And of course, it sucks you in and you go overboard, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> everything is the hardest, well, longest. Well, like every drug. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to see if it gets you high enough. <laughs> <laughs> and it certainly does. I, and then I don't know when it came about for me because I, I made a decision really early on. Like I am not a personal trainer. Like I don't want anything to do with the fitness industry. Uh, it's, it's <clears throat> as far as I could tell, it was fucking terrible. Like 
in my experience, wasn't necessarily with CrossFit gyms, but just looking at personal trainers at like Gold's Gym and people that worked in nutrition shops. I'm like, those guys are fucking, I don't want anything to do with those kind of people. Like, yeah. They just seem kind of empty and shallow and kind of miserable to me. And I'm talking about Gold's Gym specifically, like their training system, I mean, whatever, their personal training hierarchy or however it works, I don't know, whatever their system was, didn't look appealing. So I always marked that off. And instead, it was just a practice for myself and my friends. And then I started, you know, I made enough changes myself. I started seeing, like my friends wanted to come with. Like, I would show me how that thing that you did. So I would have to learn how to teach them, but I was still specifically not training people. I was yeah. just, hey, share well, this that's experience. what you had to tell the people at Gold's because otherwise <laughs> you need to have insurance and some kind of certification. Some kind and, of bonding. Yeah, exactly. So, I, and I, I, maybe that's what I recognized so much in you when you were starting your apprenticeship. It was almost like that moment when I finally admitted, admitted that, oh yeah, I'm going to train people. And in order to do that, I need to go, I need some help. I need to be an apprentice. I need to whatever. And so seeing that right off the bat, you're very influential at that point. Yeah. Right. Um, sorry. Influential is the wrong one. You're influenceable. I- influenceable. Yeah. Easily influenced. Impressionable. 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 There we go. Good. Yeah. Nice. nice. <laughs> um, and, and I always, that's my favorite. I don't know. That's my favorite time to see somebody in there. Like so curious. Yeah. And so like, still enamored with everything like everything is still fun and you haven't been you haven't been tainted by the bullshit side of it right yeah like the money thing hasn't gotten to the fact where like you know that has become a problem because you're still not making any doing the action you're just Mm. still happy to be a part of the 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 process and so when when we first started interacting i I like i always like to appreciate where people are at in their little time frame of coaching and you were at this very the precipice of what i think is the most impressionable and the most fun and the most honest because you get to pick which direction you go well i think actually we met just before i started my apprenticeship like the first time yeah yeah yeah, because you came over the first year in 2015 yeah yeah which seems like like a lifetime ago now in in a weird way um but yeah you came over and did a seminar Mm -hmm. um like a short kind of half day thing yes before i left i think yeah um and that was really interesting and it was before i kind of i was on that verge of Mm. do i want to do i really want to coach like i you know um my background is from from a from a work perspective if you like is in telecommunications i've worked in the mobile industry for close to like 13 years now um and i was working for a smartphone manufacturer at the time um in product marketing and i was really getting into the i like i properly got the bug for the fitness thing um and talking to you, I was like, this is kind of cool. Oh, I'm going to come along and, you know, um, uh, for the seminar and, and see what was there. And I was, I was, like you say, really fresh, really kind of just all open ears, open eyes, trying to take as much as I could in, like to the point where you're overloaded with information and you can't like, you can't really process it. You're mm-hmm. just like overstimulated. <laughs> uh, but it was really good. It was kind of like, what part of the reason that I got so interested in it, because I kind of got towards the 30 year old mark and I was like, I really have to take care of my body because when I was younger, I didn't, I smoked, drunk, like the only reason I was in any decent shape was because the sport like kind of kept me on the straight and narrow, but I was like quite into going out and enjoying myself and, uh, <laughs> and uh, um, then decided to switch, replace that with, with smashing myself in the gym instead. Um, but it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of what it did. Yeah. But um, yeah, when we kind of met, it was talking a bit more about 
um, the physical nature, but also the kind of philosophy that goes along, along with it, which was, which was really interesting um, to me anyway. And I think that kind of started me, kind of pushed, maybe push, gave me a bit more of a push into the direction of, yeah, I wanna, I wanna find out more. I think it was more curious, curiosity out actually than, hey, I wanna go and coach other human beings to do this. It was more like, I wanna learn more about this. And actually the best way of learning is to kind of just chuck myself into it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I did. See, and you had like a fairly established career. Uh, right? I, yeah, I get like fairly established. I mean, yeah. I've, I've, I've I'm been fairly average at most things. I just like, I'm, I'm okay at stuff. Like, sure. I, but yeah, I, I spent a bit of time doing doing the phone thing and yeah, like put quite a lot. Of, uh, yeah, fairly established is probably, I was quite a way down the apprenticeship road in, in, in phone technology and kind of grew up with it. I started in phones before touch, before iPhones were a thing. I was oh, working right. at Nokia, like, which makes me feel somewhat like, when I talk to some of the people I work with now who mm. are quite young, I'm like, wow, you weren't even like- You don't even know what a sidekick is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like I worked with some, like the first phone I launched was like a Nokia 6680 and the main thing about it was that it had a two megapixel camera and could make video calls. Like that was the first thing I oh, talked nice. about and now, it's crazy where we are in terms of phone tech. Yeah. Wow, so that was like two years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was in 2000, would that be 2003 or 2004? Yeah, I was like 23, so yeah, 12, 12 13 years ago. Jesus. I, it really has come a far away. It, it's and, nuts. No, it's, it's absurd <laughs> how far. Because what, like, what does the iPhone XS uh, have? Yeah. Megapixel camera? It's like uh, 24 it's, or something? No, I think it's less than that. I think ah. they've got a dual camera on it. Um, I can't remember the specs off the top of my head, but I think it's like a 12 and a something or another. It's set. something Some, that outperforms the, the digital SLR that I had when I had like the most advanced, like the Razer or yeah. whatever, and I had this camera, whatever that was, it outperforms it by like tenfold. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Um, oh, but the, 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 one of the interesting things is some of the things that I was talking about back then and like now a thing. So oh. um, part of the, one of the things I started in the phone industry was I was actually, I became a trainer. So I trained salespeople on how to sell them and did some soft skills coaching mm -hmm. stuff as well as some technical phone spec stuff and interesting talking to engineers and they're like, oh, in five years, we're gonna be doing this. And in 10 years, we're gonna be doing this. And now we're like doing some of the things that we were like, we were spouting, which is really cool to kind of see people's theory. And then others, like I've genuinely, I probably shouldn't say this on, on a podcast, but I genuinely heard someone say once a company I used to work at, ah, iPhone won't be a thing. Touchscreen's not gonna be that big a deal. Genuinely heard a, cheap, uh, a fairly senior person say that. And I was like, it's it's something I tell people now. It's, it blows my mind. At the time, yeah. I was like, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. When I go to put gas in my car, I sometimes start like stabbing the thing. And I'm like, oh, right, over here, keyboard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if it doesn't have a touchscreen, we're really strange. And this yeah. is somewhat like to imagine what it's like as a child. I know this is kind of like, off subject, but imagine a child being born in an age where this is where they first learn to interact with the world is through this digital interface. And they're swiping things and have their hand gestures have everything to do and they can almost pick up an, immediately. Yeah. Yet, you know, people at a certain age or demographic will never be able to bridge that gap. And there's this weird separation, you know, most of them are like everybody has watched their you know, 60 or 70 plus year old parents try to interact on an iPhone is the most frustrating thing you've ever seen. But we've established certain... Which is exactly what happens when a 12 year old looks at you interacting with your iPhone. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, that's I mean, what it's I was gonna like say, a, there's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 
how far we are as individuals, you know, along mm-hmm. the trajectory of, mm-hmm. you know, the relation, our relationship with technology. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hilarious. No, no, here, just give me that. I'll yeah. do it. You know, and, yeah. then, and then there's some little, you know, ragamuffin. You're like, ah, just give me that. I'll show oh. you how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think, how like, the fuck did yeah. you find that out? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean, computer games are like Fortnite, this whole Fortnite mm-hmm. thing that's blown up, which I've had to learn about because it's kind of fairly, it's, it's now creeping into my industry oh, right. um, in a big way. But um, yeah, like it, I didn't really fully understand. I heard about it on the fringe and then kind of had to learn a bit more about it. Yeah. And the young people, they uh, love a bit of Fortnite and it's crazy how big it is. I, like, I, I was like, oh, I'm, 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 oh, I'm a generation departed from, mm-hmm. from young people all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, I miss the in, Snapchat. In less than thing. a generation's time. Yeah. It's like, and I think that's the interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Is just, it's just like, okay, the, the, the separation between our, you know, technological uh, affinity for things is it's, it, it. Maybe there's only five years difference between us, or ten years difference, but not an entire generation. Mm. But the gulf in terms of the um, facility with technology is is as if it was a generation past. Yeah. And I don't think we've seen the, to bring this kind of back to where, why I think that technology thing is important in, in this story that I see, I could be totally off on this just to admit, and you can correct me anytime you think I'm like, now nah, you draw on a bridge where it doesn't exist. But <laughs> sure. I, I really think like if you're enamored in this world where like technology and the way people interact with their like reality is absolutely shifting and there's a generational gap. That's how big it is how we interacted with our world learning certain things was was a physical world mm. like we learned to interact by climbing trees literally and throwing water balloons at cars and like they, i mean that that was a re- that was really how we learned to interact with the world and now yeah. that i see it like there is no physical sense for the generation that has only participated in this um digital uh, interaction like when I see London interact digitally yeah she will be better than I ever can be but she'll also lose that sense like she doesn't climb trees she doesn't do certain things she's she can play physically but not in the same way that we played yeah for sure like I was sledding off of rooftops and doing like stuff that is so absurd and dangerous but also really taught me how I interact with my real world and for me maybe you know that that's kind of thing we always talk about is we see the world going towards this only this one facet of how you interact with the world and there's a draw for some people maybe our generation will be the last one that really feels that draw to keep the last on the physical gen- yours is the last generation that ever had to run from the cops <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like, from now on it's just like oh we know exactly where they are yeah, yeah the IP address well I actually one of the reasons I care so much about the tech industry and stayed in, in it and kind of went back to it was because I feel a, I feel a sense of um, responsibility to be that conduit between mm. like the the age groups. Because I think, I mean, we were talking about it. There are certain physical practices that are coming back like board games, mm-hmm. um, our generation getting back into board games and things like that, where they want physical and human connection because you don't really get that on a daily basis or certainly as much, it's a lot easier not to have, have, have uh, 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 I know you've kind of been talking about analog and mm-hmm. it's easy not to have like an organic analog experience with human beings. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel that sense of like, I actually think I, kind of we're going down a completely different rabbit hole. I'm taking us down another rabbit hole here, but I think that as 
our society grows, we have a real responsibility to human, uh, 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 like our, the next generation to humans to um, educate them on how to use technology. And I think that's been done really poorly by people <laughs> creating it um, thus far, especially around like applications. And mm -hmm. so, oh, I know you guys have talked about social media before, but social media has been something that has been kind of give, gifted to the human race, but not explained in terms of what it was meant for or how it should be used. I, I just think in the most obvious sense, like how many people, how, how many people's physical structure will change from the slight tilt of your neck, always looking down. Yeah. Like that, I mean, it's obviously changed our, 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 our body positions in the in the ability. As soon as you say that, everybody, everybody, yeah, everybody uh, straightens uh, up when they do. Up. It. Oh, I got to pull the microphone a little closer. Yeah, yeah. lean but, into it. <laughs> but even like sitting at a chair, like that has completely changed how the animal of being a human is. Like we have, it's detrimental. Like mm. there's there's health consequences for that. And I don't think people realize just the mo the easiest one is like, oh, I don't hold the phone up to me. I look down at the phone. Yeah. And that's going to change how we become efficient. Let alone the the other parts where we're like oh when i'm on my phone and this is easy for anybody to see you go to a restaurant now and you have to actively work to not look at your phone even if you're like oh no i appreciate the social part and i want to be present i still have this like weird magnetic sense that if my phone vibrates i'm like oh, i need to look at it yeah no i don't like i'm interacting with humans already i'm busy yeah and that's that interaction Ooh, we're not going to see that yeah <laughs> we're, we're not going to see the the uh, the dire consequences of that behavior for like another 10 years. Yeah. And when we see it, we'll be like, oh shit. Like, yeah, I guess we I'd, fucked that up. Yeah, we totally <laughs> fucked that up. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I'm more scared or intrigued <laughs> on sure. that. Like, yeah. I'm really interested to see how much, you know, people have been talking about the shapes of our hands or the posture of humans. I mean, I live in London and I get the tube to work every day and like some of the pe positions people put themselves into, like play their Nintendo Switch or like read something on their phone is genuinely staggering i mean that's when you know connect this back to what we were talking about previously when i the coach in me or the, the someone who's worked in the you know in in the fitness world like no understanding the little i do of posture and mm -hmm. and stability of joints and things like that like looking at the way people stand and i'm just oh i'd almost want to go over to people and be like look stand up straight hold this in front of your face like you'll <laughs> you'll, you'll thank me in 10 years time when you're like not having to have your neck sorted out i mean but if you like michael when you were describing it you know that we you know, head bowed to the phone or tilted down to the yeah. phone <laughs> versus I've holding it up so to much you. More yeah. Like th there's They're a true. thing. We are bowing to technology. Yeah. We are like, here we are head down, hunched over, like basically in, you know, supplicants mm. to, you know, technology. Wow. Whereas, you know, and the, and the postural demonstration of like holding this up to me as an upright human being, holding it up to my eyes, I mean, that's kind of defiance in the face of technology in a way. It's just like, this yeah. is, and if you, and just like, Michael, when you said that, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is the relationship now with technology. It's not like I have this thing and, it, and, and I'm utilizing it as a, as, as assistance, as an, you know, as, in a way to take me on this trajectory that's physical and, you know, relationship with the world mm -hmm. that, that I already have. I have just given everything and focused, you know, just like taken all of that sort of 180 degree view that I can see in my peripheral vision at any time and put it down to like an 18 degree mm -hmm. fucking focus level on this little tiny screen, which has me hunched over and basically 
you know, if somebody was to look at me from the back, they'd be like, man, that is one depressed, broken fucking person. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we're in the age of acceleration anything. So any input we have will accelerate in that trajectory. And if you think about it in that aspect, like I, I like the I like the imagery of bowing. Yeah. That, because we are giving it up well. to a technological god. But also, in, in and I'm not sure the exact dates, but there's something like between the species of upright hominids, like we'll say Atholopithecus, which is like 200,000 years ago, there's maybe like 1.2 million years from you know our ancestry of when we became upright hominids. So it took us close to, let's say, one and a half million years to stand upright, and we will undo that in a generation. Like we will, <laughs> we, we will be crawling on the ground yep. soon because it's not... I, I mean, it's just baffling to me. Yeah, which it's, is, I, again, why I think that the the fitness thing, again, had a draw for me because I mm -hmm. kind of saw some of the stuff coming and I'm like, we as humans really need to think about our physical, like I, I kind of got to the stage where I realized that the only thing that really matters is the vessel that carries your consciousness around. Sorry to get kind of a little mm -hmm. bit deep yes. in, but that that hit me like a ton of bricks and I was like, I need to, I need to really maintain my body and I need to, you know, I think it's weird. And I had this a lot of when I coached talking about money for that, for coaching, people have a real hard time paying to maintain their physical state. Mm. Like, oh, but I have bills to pay. I've got a car to pay, run. I've got like a flat to, it's like, but none of that matters if you can't, you can't <laughs> yeah, like yeah. get in it or walk to it or yeah. whatever. So having that conversation Making with- payments on the car that I can no longer drive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like I can't even open the door because you're so broken I, and that's a real thing that happens and talking to people where they're like i don't i don't want to i don't want to pay for this and you're kind of like well you're, you're gonna, gonna pay for it eventually yes exactly like sooner or yeah. later you're gonna you know every everything costs something everyone pays and it's just that what you see this immediate cost as being mm -hmm. too high because you are unable to see the eventual cost, yeah. which will really be too high yeah i was gonna say most poor health choices have compounding interest like they, you're not getting off that easy. It's not a one for one. Yeah. And and I also I, to to excuse the hesitation towards paying because I, I think this is a real thing worth discussing. Is like, a the the charlatanism that is available in the fitness industry is second to only the MLM industry or like mm -hmm. whatever. Which I only really no noticed once I yeah. was in it. Like sure, I didn't I didn't really get any of that when I was on the fringe or kind of looking at stuff. I didn't really. You know, it's weird how it didn't really register to me as, mm -hmm. and then I talk to people that aren't kind of just, you know, do a bit of fitness now and they, they again, kind of like buy into a lot of stuff and mm -hmm. like, oh no, that seems really cool. And you're like, no. Yeah, that, that, there's a disinterest <laughs> in it. I think on one regard, because people usually have had a bad experience yeah. and they let that bad experience frame their knowledge of a, of a, um, situation or, or or knowledge of a subject altogether like oh well somebody told me that they could take me through a transformation and then i did this like really hard really like i mean drudgery style of uh living you know diet kale and dust and the exercise i wake up at four in the morning and do spin <laughs> class or whatever the thing was and i was not the person that i was thinking that I would be based on the advertisements for health and fitness industry. Like, mm. where's that guy in the linen white pants on the beach? It's obviously Lee Phillips uh, modeling it, but <laughs> like why he looks so happy and his hair is always coiffed perfectly. And like, uh, and I use him as an example because he is like, uh, the guy is 
an insanely like he's a phenom out of nowhere but yeah. he represents and he is a fitness model and he represents what most people think they can get if they look like that and there there's a bridge to be gapped right there yeah uh gap to be bridged i mean I I, like some way. people say because he's he's a bit more mature than i am shall we say in sure. terms of years mm -hmm. and people say i wish i looked like him when i'm his age i'm like i wish i looked like him now exactly <laughs> there's a really famous <laughs> like, there's, he's he's in sick shape and yeah. he's like you know 40 45 not 43. quite old i think it's like 42 okay uh, yeah, so, sorry Lee, 40s, if, you, yeah. if you tune in like Nin outing him 19 covers of men's health something like that it's crazy. firefighter professionally like male model like and absolutely like i mean he's the fittest firefighter in the world three yeah. years in a run they have this competition in britain and in the world series or whatever yeah, he is the embodiment of every and then whenever you see him he has like a fucking beautiful watch on and he's like a gentleman dressed and personally, he's very nice to deal with. So when I look at him, I use him as the example because I think he is the biggest anomaly I've ever seen. He's Welsh and he's tan. He's like <laughs> jacked, but he can drink beer. Like he's like, yeah. he's like, oh, go fuck yourself. That guy shouldn't exist. Yeah. But that's what people think that they're going to get if they go through a really hard six go to the weeks. gym one hour a day, three times a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And he's been living it for a lifetime. So it, it, it seems like it's just a lifestyle for him, but he's been doing it for so long that it makes sense. Like he's been doing it his whole life. There's yeah. never been anything different. But people get under the impression like, oh, look how happy he is in that advertisement. He looks like he's enjoying the shit out of life. Like he's just, you know, South Africa and over here and on yeah. the beach and jumping and, you know, winning competitions and his, you know, his, his fiance or whatever is beautiful. And they're like this happy couple. Oh, well, he works out. I'm going to work out and then I'll have those things. And people have to stop and be like, that's a bad correlation. Mm. Most people that take up fitness it's going to be, especially if you ignored it your whole life, you are going to have a miserable time. You'll be at the opposite state of that. You're miserable. You're hungry. You yeah. don't feel good. You're not as tan as you want to be, whatever the thing yeah, is. Yeah. And I think like trying to dissuade people from their first experience of thinking that they were going to get the thing that they didn't it has nothing to do with happiness. It has nothing to do with fulfillment. Um, and explaining to them the real uses of fitness, like, you know, I, I can stand longer. I mm. can, um, I can run around when I want to, I can go on hikes with my friends. I can enjoy things that normally I'd be suffering through. Like if you ever go on a hike with a friend, a friend that's like out of shape and in the first five minutes they are dying yeah. and they're so embarrassed by it that they don't want to show it. So they try to hide their breath. And then because they hide their breath, they're not breathing. So they get even into a worse spot that, that analogy is how I feel most people look at fitness. Uh, and I, I'm kind of like going off on a million different directions here. But the, the idea is that um, when we first notice what we can help people with, and then we try to turn that into a profession, most people, uh, we have a hard time communicating what it is we're actually selling them. Yeah. It's not a six pack. It's not uh, eternal happiness on a beach. It is this idea that if I have this one property, it makes my uh, world a little bit more accessible. Yeah. And that's hard to sell to people because they're like, wait, I'm not going to look like that male model. And you're like, no, not even close. And you're like, well, so I don't immediately like go on the beach and everybody takes pictures of me. No, like no one will notice you. You will be totally average looking. I think that's one of the <laughs> things that I noticed about coaching <clears throat> was that and I, I've seen a few coaches say, oh, you know, you end up being pop 
psychotherapist mm-hmm. and you're like that's broadly mainly what you are part mainly yeah, yeah. like yeah. part you, you mean the big part the 90 yeah. percent part <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people get into it because they think oh, i want to help people like be healthier or get stronger or look better and it's like well no really you're helping people kind of understand them which is really difficult ideally you're helping them unfuck their heads yeah Mm -hmm. which is why i mean and it's been mentioned you know on this a number of on the podcast a couple of times like i always considered our job especially in the movie business as being exercise psychologists not Mm. exercise physiologists because the physical part is just like that it's so easy if you can get the person to the point of like uh really or let's say genuinely and hungrily doing the physical stuff yeah but to but to go from where they are when you first see them i think to get them to that point of like yes it's worth it yes i want to do this yes i want to feel this way or i don't mind feeling this way because i have seen that there is a you know a, a, a benefit that i appreciate that comes with it yeah and and on and it's um it's why like you see guys who are who've managed themselves quite well physically um and then th- th- that same guy has a lot of trouble leading someone else to the same conclusion because they never made the junction between you know okay the sorry we could joke all we want about the mind is primary but yeah it does it does come for you have to fix that first thing then the other stuff is yeah comes comes in the wake of it but and the trick is to like fix the mind by way of the physical activity like yeah as as, as a consequence of the physical physical activity and it's and and you and you know if if, if somebody's you know comes in with the like they would to the hairdressing salon <laughs> for example with a picture of what they want to look like just like god Damn, I mean, I, I was reading this. There, there's a something on the BBC News website recently about um, the dangers of the existence of Photoshop for you know people's oh, right. mm-hmm. you know body image and stuff like that. And okay, it's wrong. You're never going to look like the person in the photo. You know, if that photo's been manipulated. My point with that, I was like, no, you're never going to look like the picture, the person in the photo. Yeah. No matter what, mm-hmm. it's been manipulated. It hasn't been manipulated. If you are feel like you're being sold a bill of goods by the image because there has been some manipulation. Well, it's not just that. Yeah. It's that you're, you know, susceptible to, you know, images from the outside and no no matter what, you, you know, you're you're never going to um look like that thing that you're chasing. Yeah, which I in think in some way, which is precisely why you're chasing it. Yeah, absolutely. In, which is really difficult because I think even when you know that you still fall into that trap. Oh, absolutely. So I, I mean, I, I'm. It's something that I've been aware of, and I'm. You know, you kind of end up doing the self-talk of like, well, I just want to, I just want to. I'm doing this for me, and I want to look or feel as well as I can. And then you still kind of look at someone, you're like, that guy or girl looks in sick shape. Right, I want to train really hard, and yeah, and you're like, I, I know I'm doing myself an injustice here, and I think that one, of, one of the challenges is that a lot of people aren't honest about that. Yes. Even in in the industry, the people aren't honest about what motivates them, and that causes so many. I I just it was one of the reasons I actually decided to leave, and I think this is kind of one of the reasons you brought the topic up was kind of my journey, kind of in and out, and it was only like a two and a two and a half year journey. Mm-hmm. But I took on a lot of people's 
um, energy. Like I'm very susceptible <laughs> to others' energy, and I took on a lot of like the positive, which is which I loved, but I took on a lot of the negative, which I really struggled with because I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't extinguish it. I couldn't evaporate it. Um, so I end up taking on a lot of this stuff, and it's really difficult when you try and communicate. And then it's 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 something that I took as a bit of a failing on my part was was finding the the language to use to communicate to people kind of to try and get them on that journey when because it's difficult like not everyone like some people you meet they you have the same common language they're similar background to you you kind of just click and you're like oh by the way you kind of want to have you thought about this like you start asking the right questions they give you the right answers and you're like cool and then you get those that you're complete opposite to or you're completely different to you start asking the questions and they're like i don't why would you ask me that what like what are you and you're oh god this is going to be and i found that really i found that really like debilitating was not being able to engage and have the right conversation with people. I found that really hard. That that's where I think um, when we talk about this, we we talk about it kind of like uh, it sounds like it's in the negative sense, but we talk about the ability to become kind of a sociopath because of that exact thing. Because I can't just be me. I rub people the wrong way when I'm just me, and when I really want to affect change, I have to be the person. Like the message is really important not as important as the messenger mm. in most cases. So fitting in and out of who you are to a person is really important. And the energy thing is real. Like um, th this was once explained um, when we're talking about like early training, like Ross wants me to come, you know, teach class like six in the morning and, and train people because that's really convenient for him. And I tell him like often like, ah, that, uh, that'll ruin my whole day. Like I wake up at a certain time and if I, if I come teach a class, just one with three people in it, that's so much energy for me that the rest of the day I am like drained. Mm -hmm. That means I get nothing done. So generally speaking, I only train clients after a certain time so I can for sure get other things in my day done. And that, that works out to hurt people in this industry that want to make money as a coach because the only time to really affect change is when people are available. So you're talking six, seven, nine for the moms, noon for the trust funders, and then the five, six, seven at night. And so yeah. if you really are coaching throughout the day and you're a professional coach, uh, you will burn. If you, if you run that schedule yourself, first of all, I think you know this, that's impossible. Yeah. And most people are like, well, that's only, you know, seven sessions. That's seven hours. That can't be that much yeah, energy. I do 12. I do 12 like, at the office. Like, one hour of coaching a group is an exponent of all the people that are in there. And each person that, <laughs> for each negative person or person that doesn't react well, it is, you know, times 10 or times 20, whatever it is, is this energy draw. And yeah, every once in a while, you get really a refreshing person that you feel better after they've been there than when, mm. uh, but then without. Um, but for the most part, that's not true because people are there to fix problems. And so they're, they're they, in a They bring their problems into your Ex space. Exactly. Yeah. And with, with that comes their problems. And most of the time, it's an ep like training is. Um, a metaphor for something else that they want to change, which you have no idea about. Nobody wants to mention because you're not technically a, you know, mm. a psychiatrist or somebody who would deal with real therapy. But that really is the thing. And if you get down to fundamental reasons on why people are there, it's generally speaking to make a change in their life because they don't know how else to affect change. They can't quit their job. They can't. Um, <laughs> they can't just 
swap out spouses or change their children or do the things that are really frustrating to them. Like you, they can't control those aspects. So their only thing that they can do is like, I'm going to try to change my body or my fitness levels or my hairstyle, or I'm going to go shopping and buy all new kit. Yeah. Or I'm going to get, you know, different clothes or whatever. Those are the things that people can affect change in, but there's an underlining issue behind that. Right. Like it's not just like this will be fun. I'm going to go through, you know, extreme transformation because it's fun. It's like it's extremely painful and it doesn't feel good while you're doing it, but they want to do it because they don't like other aspects. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really hard to deal with. Like you can't just outwardly ask when they come in like, oh, I don't want to look like this anymore. First, nobody's going to admit that because that's supposed to like, oh, you have low self-esteem. But. Most people do not want to look like how they look, period. Like you mm. take your clothes off, look in the mirror. Are you happy with what you see? 99% of the people, I mean, the only person I know might be Lee Phillips. Is like, yeah, I look fucking awesome, dude. <laughs> Fuck you. Like, <laughs> I've looked like this since I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've literally been a 43-year-old awesome man. I'm like the James Bond of firefighting. They, most people look in the mirror and they're like, oh, I'm too fat or I'm this, I'm too thin or I'm too tall or I'm too gangly. I have like weird proportions. And it, because we are a, a vain society, that is very important to people. Mm-hmm. And so the first aspect of fitness is, yeah, we can try to get you to look better. That's how we sell it to people. But in reality, the underlining theme is you can get to know yourself better, which will allow you to accept yourself more often. Yeah. Not all the time, because that's impossible. But how do you like... Now we're talking a totally different business model because that value is easily expended, right? Like people would show up and you're like, oh, you're going to make me appreciate myself. That's priceless. Yeah. We just have to do it through so many layers of abstraction and metaphor. And then it comes back to that. And that, yeah. that, that's, the, that's the hardest thing in this industry because like we mentioned before, like in everything that you do, it has to be genuine if you're doing good things. That's really hard to do when we're holding up a lie. Like, right, our bit, come into my gym. We work muscles. You can look better. Like, and the only reason you're there is because you saw that I trained this famous person and they looked like how you want to look because you're disappointed with your existence. But it's not even that. You're, they, 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 <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they, they look how you, no, they have all the benefits that you think you can get if you look, if one part of you looks a certain way. Mm. Like, and, and I think there's the, the, the disconnect is that, okay, we have to talk about muscle and mm-hmm. physical capacity because it's a fucking gym mm-hmm. in the, in the first place, which, so we are at first, um, the, the ones who are confused. Like we have to learn that lesson ourselves first, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that it's not about the thing that, you know, that the means are irrelevant. It's just that these are the means that we use. Whereas if we had a martial arts school, we would, you know, it would be different. That would be the means, but ultimately at least with, you know, a lot of martial arts, it, you know, it's, it's pretty upfront with, no, this is, you know, this is self-knowledge. This mm-hmm. is, you know, self-confidence. This is da 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 um, So at least that's somewhat on the surface mm-hmm. um, with the, you know, strip mall ki or whatever. Um, the deadly in, fighting art. <laughs> Speaking of Taekwondo, of course. Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... Because I said strip mall, you said taekwondo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, um, but but it, it, I, I think you know it. It took all of us a, a, a few times around the block to realize, like, okay, yes, this what we what everyone is here for is some psychological change. Mm. 
And, I and, still have and, to drive around the block like a couple times a week to remember that whole thing oh, for yeah. myself, let alone the people that come in here to train. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm and, and the like the frustrating thing is I really miss it. Like mm. I was like re I'm really glad that I kind of I did it and I'm done with it, but at the same time really miss it. It's like a real conflict as well. And there's times where I'm because I train at a gym now and I'm just a just a member, just a goer. And um, it's time to keep your mouth shut. When yeah, you see oh, terrible things. <laughs> oh, like, and they're not terrible things, yeah. but just I, there was a, you know, I was in open gym the other day, day. There was a guy deadlifting and I was just like, I just couldn't help myself. I had to go and like, just be like, I don't just don't want you to blow your back out. Like, just, you know, step away from the weight a little bit. Think about this. Just and it's ingrained in me now. Like, I can't kind of switch it off now. I've, it's like I took the red pill. I now I can't unforget what I've seen a little bit. But um yeah, it's really, I think the other thing that we, we kind of haven't talked about, we talked about a lot about the individual, but then putting them in a group setting where they've mm -hmm. got to then interact with others who are all kind of there for the same reasons, but are like trying to figure it out and, and engage with each other in, in the same time. Like it's really, it's a, it's a funny thing to just sit back and watch sometimes like mm -hmm. unplug and be like, I'm just going to watch this. Cause I was, when you're at a CrossFit gym, you're in it. Like everyone knows who you are. You're kind of on. You have a persona. You have to be a person. The 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 guy. The guy. You know, mm -hmm. had to be Gilesy. I couldn't be Adam if you like. Like I had that alter ego, kind of split you're talking about. And now I'm kind of not. I'm less of an active participant in the community that I, of the gym I'm in. Uh, consciously, like I kind of do that because I'm. It's it's t like it's hard to be that engaged. I'm like I just want to turn up, do some fitness, say hello to people, be not, like pleasant, but. I don't want to engage too too heavily, but it's interesting watching mm. you kind of like being at a new gym and watching people engage and be like, ah, yeah. that's that guy or that's the that girl. Like you're playing that role in 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 this. Or to I mean, I, this to me is fascinating to watch this the, like the group hierarchy form mm. and then how people behave based on how they perceive their position within the group, and it, it's like okay, I. I need to be sensitive to this because if I am and I see it, then maybe I can steer a little bit as a tra as a trainer. But it, yeah, the the, the group thing in, in some ways it's the it's the key to performing better. I mean, we saw it in here the other day during Roger's sort of forty third birthday mm -hmm. celebration, where you know, and I had kind of forgotten about this. I mean, it, at least it wasn't in the forefront of my mind as as much as it used to be. Was um, you know, when Rosa said, oh, I didn't, you know, I had to hold up my end because I didn't want to let Aaron down. I was like, oh, yeah, that mm -hmm. actually is, you know, there's a social influence yeah. on, you know, physical expression of capacity. But why don't we, like, why can't we do things and not let ourselves down? Like, why does it take, <sighs> Yeah. Why, why can't, like, why are we the, the same reason we speak? in such horrible language to ourselves. Sure. Yeah. Well, which is uh, what I've been kind of getting on about, about the past, like my personal development the past couple of months really is about being a little bit nicer to myself. Cause I noticed like I had this, this sounds <laughs> I only laugh cause I like identify quite a lot with that. <laughs> this, this sounds really like hippie-ish or people are like, oh man, Michael's fucking gonna join some monastery and become a monk or something. But there really is this, uh, when I, I, I noticed myself criticizing other people. Mm. Right. I mean, very critically. And it wasn't mean or malicious. It was just an observation of yeah. which I felt was really neutral. But that's on the side of bias of how critical I am of myself. Yeah. So if I make a comment about somebody, it sounds fucking mean and terrible. And it sounds like, dude, where do you come off like thinking about that? But when I make a comment about myself, I'm 
10 times worse. Yeah. I'm the, I were, I move so badly. I can't get anything right. I'm still out of shape. I'm still fat. I'm still not what I want to be. I'm still like this person that should be better than I am. Yeah. And that's terrible language to use with yourself, even if it's honest or even if it's your first thought, because we are not our thoughts. And therefore, anything that I say to somebody else in relation in, in context of how I speak of myself is actually nice. It's mm. genuinely improved from how I speak about myself. And what I kind of have been coming to, especially in this, is like, man, I really should be nicer to people because maybe that'll afford me opportunity to kind of, you know, change the language of how I re- reference myself or how I, how I speak about myself. And maybe that'll make this process more enjoyable. Yeah. I always, I, I used to, use why well, kind of still do but the practice of trying i always try and pick out the best quality of someone mm. and that would be what someone would be like oh that guy or that girl yeah. i'd be like yeah but they're really good at this or they're really not they're like so, like so mm. great at that and just try and offset that and i kind of did that weirdly like uh, as a natural practice but yeah i kind of em- I, I really identify with the kind of the self stuff it's it's hard to kind of give yourself that kind of positive speak it becomes it feels ingenuine at first like it feels yeah. like this is false this is not and and i think that's true if i was like michael you fucking awesome today like you really did a good job I'd be like shut the fuck up like you're a fucking <laughs> loser like but if i start actually the opposite way by doing what you're talking about point out something like man that's really cool that that person you know has been coming to this gym for so long and they try so hard and you know that, that's that's something not everybody does mm. Then the language might start instead of like, man, they death look like shit or they look like a fucking total asshole or, you know, cool, film your thing for Instagram, you dumb <laughs> cunt. Like, what? well, I mean, that's the language that goes through my head. But if I if I modify it slightly, then I do notice that when I start to do something, I'm a little bit more forgiving of mistakes. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I just didn't train as hard or I quit today or I didn't do as well as I thought I would. Then maybe like, hey, but you showed up and you did this thing. Yeah. And that positive feedback from myself will enable me to do better things now all of that whether it's important or not is the real thing like the real growth that happens right my bench press may or may not go up because of that thought process but it will influence how i treat other people and the people that are closest to me and that's really the power of somebody who can use language and physical i don't know obstacles to enforce this whole dichot this thought process yeah. this introspection well ultimately that's coaching i mean it, it kind of starts with you right like mm. coaching yourself i think mm-hmm. it's something that i've always tried to do <laughs> not always great but like you know i think like you say it's the intent behind it rather than the, necessarily the the achievement if you can get the intent right then yeah I, and this this dawned on me the other day having a conversation with somebody because um and i'll, I'll try to leave all the personal stuff out of it because it, 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 I mean, it was the first time I realized it. Like it was like an epiphany that hit me um, when somebody was talking about coaching and kind of like, you know, oh, I don't want to do that because, eh. and then I was, they would go train themselves instead. And they made a comment about like, I was like, oh, well, you know, it's the same time. It's this, that, the other. And they made the the comment that like, oh yeah, but training myself is for me. And my first reaction was like, if you think training other people is for them, you're doing it wrong. Like if you're going in to coach somebody because you're God's gift to fucking physical movement, you have the wrong premise about what we're doing here. And this is one of the hardest things for me to charge people for is because I'm getting a benefit out of this, Mm. right? Like that's why we're so weird about how we offset payment to not make it a thing where you are paying for a certain thing, but I'm actually growing from this. This is a selfish act 
that yeah. I'm, you know, using you as a catalyst for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the expert. You don't question me, do everything that I say, but internally I'm like, how am I going to have to morph myself and change so that I can become the person that will influence this person? That'll give me the, you know, the ticket to the next ride as it were. Um, that, that was a really hard thing to recognize. And how many times have I thought that I'm, you know, God's gift to training? Yeah, this person comes in, they want to train with me. I'm this big deal. I'm going to show them how to do all these things correctly. And I'm the man. When in reality, I sh- like if I look at it like this person is coming in, they're coming in for themselves and I'm allowing them to be here for myself. And the payment is just a part of the transaction. Uh, what I'm really getting out of value is the ability to be introspective about how to interact with this person. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I think that's like a big, big point about it. And you, you learn through, I mean, the amount of times you coach someone and you basically make an entire session of mistakes mm. with that one person, whether it be the cue that you give them or the type of language you use, or even just get like the wrong kind of stimulus for the, what that person needs, but the data you get from it. Mm. If you're if you're paying attention, I think that's the other thing I learned. Mm-hmm. Like I had to really pay attention. It wasn't like the days I felt most frustrated with myself were the days where I didn't pay attention to what was going on in the session and I was coasting through it because I was, you know, probably because I was burnt out or because mm-hmm. I had taken something like some energy and I just wanted to get home and mm-hmm. like just recharge. But yeah, when it wasn't, when I wasn't present, like that was, you know, for them, obviously, mm-hmm. but for myself as well. Like I was like, oh, you just you missed the whole point of the exercise. Yeah, you, you do see it. Like I, I, that's one of my favorite things to go and travel and drop into other gyms to see how they go about this process. Mm-hmm. Because every once in a while, and, and every process is good. I mean, I went up to uh, one of my clients right now that we're doing a, a project for. Um, he had this business partner that goes to gym up north. And he's like, hey, my friend wants me to come do this workout. Will you come school everybody? I'm like, I'll go with you. Like, I'm not I'm not ever going to go to somebody else's <laughs> space. But I went up there and, and like, super nice people, but what a complete fucking shit show. And yeah. the opposite is actually true. I actually do everything that they say and try to learn from somebody who is ob- objectively a worse coach. Now, I'm not going to maybe pick up any great cues, but I will always learn a lesson of how to not to be or things that I want to always avoid, mm. environmental cues of like, even it's just technical stuff, like don't make people walk around with a heavy barbell back and forth across the room with like 40 people in the room. Like that's just a no-no. And I didn't ever realize that was a thing that I should question, but seeing it, I now know it's definitely a rule in my book that I will not do. So there's all these little things, but I was trying to describe to my client, like, because uh, he was kind of shocked that I would go to another gym. Like, it's really? oh, so cool of you, man. You just go, you have your own gym. You can do your own thing. You're the like master of your domain. I was like, to be honest, it's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, I really enjoy going to other gyms. I find that it's really like that. I, and actually, it's one of the things I really like about CrossFit, the, you know, the whole drop-in principle. And yeah. Like, go and see what how others fitness, mm-hmm. like how you practice. It's quite nice. And I, I use it as a measuring stick for other coaches. Um, if they are unable to take somebody else's direction, it's a big sign for me that they, they, they have hit like this really weird... Um, place in coaching where what i call the blue belt syndrome like you're just good enough to get yourself into trouble and then dude i say that about (laughs) myself in everything i'm like i know enough stuff just to get myself in trouble and pretty much like i'll pick a book up Mm -hmm. i'll read half of it and then i'm like right i know enough now to have a conversation and basically get myself into a load of a world of pain yeah 
But um, I'm, I definitely get stuck in that rut. Like I go to other gyms and sometimes I get coached by people mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm full foul of that myself. Like, mm-hmm. and I identify that and then I get really mad at myself for doing it, but it's it's easily done. It's, uh, you know, it's, um, it, it's hard to sometimes be like completely blank canvas and mm-hmm. be like, I know that this person's maybe putting me into a position that, or they're telling me something that I'm not necessarily agree- in agreement with yeah. but, and doing it anyway. It's- there's this um, there's this really good analogy, and I just read it in Michael Pollan's last book, and he talks, uh, it's mostly about behavior and how when we learn something, imagine your brain as a ski slope. Okay. And whenever you learn something, it's like sledding down and it creates a track. And then you learn something else and it creates a track. And eventually, it's really hard to create new tracks. You're falling into just old grooves because your brain, is, if anything else, is an efficiency machine, right? Mm. It's trying to shortcut everything, make life easier. But that's the trap is that, oh, I already learned this. It's this groove. It's this way. This is what it feels like. And every time I go out of anytime I'm uncomfortable, I'm more than likely going to cross grooves or create a new path. And that's what learning is to me. And I think going to something as simple as like going to a gym, it could be a bad experience. It could be a good experience. It allows you to highlight how different those grooves look. And like I, uh, it's very, uh, it's, it doesn't happen often. Perpetua is one of the places that I went to and I was like, wow, this place is really different. I have a lot to learn here. Like how the coaches interact, I've never seen before. And I happened to hit it at a really good time when you were there and Oz was there and all these really great people that were really fun to hang out with. And I got to see that whole thing blossom. And I I feel like that was an advantage. Um, And I experienced maybe a couple weeks ago when we were in San Diego and we dropped into this gym that I've dropped into before. Um, and it's a, whatever, we're just going to get a workout in cause yada, yada, yada. And I noticed how detailed and absolutely like enthusiastic the coach was now it's over CrossFit. So it could be a little bit annoying, like, but he was so into every movement. So like enthusiastic about everything that it was infectious because you could tell he gave a shit, mm. right? Like he cared about everybody in that room, not maybe individually like he wants, you know, whatever, but he cared about his art and getting other people to like that art. Mm. So that that's how he expressed himself. And it, it literally changed like, God, I, I shouldn't be so, I don't know, pessimistic about this whole fucking fitness thing. Like, cause that's infectious. Even if I, like if somebody comes to learn I really do love physical fitness and I love movement and I love learning movement. So why would I be a fucking asshole if, if, if again, the messenger is more important sometimes than the message. Mm. If the message is you should really love physical fitness, but the messenger is a fucking, you know, asshole, uh, pedantic and fucking raging. And you can kind of tell there's this internal rage where he thinks he's better than everybody else. You're not going to get the message. You're only going to think that the messenger is a fucking dick. Yeah. So I, I really like, have and to- I've, I've, I, like, I have to say I've been that person. Mm-hmm. Like oh, absolutely. I've got into that position where I'm like, you know, movement is like the, I got to a point where I was like, the movement, so you got to be honor the movement. Mm-hmm. You got to be like, you know, I, cause I, cause I was, insufficient as a lot of it mm-hmm. and i then i worked real like i was that guy that would stay three hours a day work on all the movement because i was like i've got to be good enough that i can help impart that into others and then when i got to that stage i then like was like you know, on others oh, yeah exactly yeah. and then before and then i had to like take a step back and be like people come here for fun man like people come here to have a good hour and you've got to foster that as much as mm-hmm. educate them you got to help them enjoy enjoy and the trick process. them into doing the movement properly yeah I, mean, I think this is a lot of it is like when mm-hmm. you set up the okay we're gonna have the this is gonna be the skill session and then no one shows up 
you know, <laughs> yeah. um, because that's not fun. And so you actually have to, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the signs of a, of a, of a very good coach is, is being able to, to, um, insert the skill acquisition into what is essentially fun mm. for the, for the client that they mm. don't, that they're learning it, but they don't know that they are, and they're not getting, you know, sort of, um, castigated for doing it wrong, yeah. you know, but there's a definitely a benefit to doing it right, even though they don't know and, mm-hmm. and, and they, they, they see the benefit, but they don't actually understand that they're being sort of coached mm-hmm. along the way. In, the sense in, of play, it. Yeah. like making stuff a game. Like, yeah. you know, we learn, that's how all of us learn, whatever yeah. it is, you know. Yeah, that, what, well, it's, it's, I find when, as soon as something is written on a board, it becomes a task. Yeah. Right. And I and I was like, like that just looking like, cross yeah. it off. So most of yeah, now I have to do this and I have to do this and that. Like organizes everybody looks at the whole thing, but they're looking towards the end. And so now I've had to stop and you know, I will it, it's not necessarily created in the moment, but I am not telling people what it is so that they can focus on the thing that's in front of them as opposed to explaining the whole story and then they're focused on what they think will be the hard part and they miss the whole part where they can actually enjoy it and learn. And so a lot of our, how I've started to change our sessions now and when we take people through things is, and maybe you realized this last night, we, we fuck around a lot. Like the warm up is sometimes 45 minutes of rolling around on the ground doing ridiculous things, like doing things that will get you to question why the fuck we're doing this, right? Like backbends and weird positions and stuff that I've taken from, you know, martial arts and stuff that I've taken from tumbling and gymnastics and some of it's from CrossFit, some of it's from dynamic track work. Maybe I'll take one thing from some fucking asshole that does mobility. But for the most part, it's just a way to like, get people to do things that are different and be uncomfortable because mm-hmm. then those grooves, those impressions in your snow hill, if you would, are new and fresh. And you tend to remember those things. And yeah, yeah, at the end, we'll do this hard workout and everybody will breathe, everybody will get their drug, and then you can leave. And I find that the more frequently I do that, like Mark likes to say, more often people are leaving the gym accelerating, right? They're like going up. They're not on this like, oh, that was a fucking beat down. Yeah. And, and pouring themselves out of the gym. I mm-hmm. want them to end on a yeah a positive note but that, sorry i nobody, said that actually out loud <laughs> but nobody does that for the coach and this yeah. is the hard problem from a business aspect right because i'm able to do that because i control the scenario now and i've done it wrong for so long and now that i feel like i'm doing a little bit more right as opposed to more wrong not exactly like perfect, I, I can kind of control how I end those sessions so I can have more energy at the end of it. Because if people are accelerating out, actually that's a reflection of my own personality. And then I can handle more energy. I've, I've even got to the point but where- But if they are just they, in, if they are just ruined, exhausted, in a puddle on the floor so and, it's, and it's genuine, then you, uh, um, and like Giles, Giles E. <laughs> Um, you said, you know, you take on that energy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're exposed to that energy. So if you're the one controlling the environment and it has negative energy in it, well, it's you, it's, 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 it's you Mm -hmm. and you will, you know, you'll walk out of that environment with carrying that energy. And I'm going to wonder why I'm so smashed. Yeah. Yeah. Why why am I like, I feel so fatigued and well, look at all the people around you can barely get off of the ground. And it's not that hard work is bad. It's that the state that they're in was never picked up and put back together. Like there is a very high skill set in getting somebody to do something hard 
And then when they leave, they feel like they could do it again. Yeah. That's the, the biggest difference isn't in the work that they did or how deep they went. It's in how you put the pieces together. And I think like Roger's birthday is a perfect example of two people were visiting us and, you know, their first exposure to very, very hard things. And this workout in particular was a fucking beat down because you're partnered with somebody that's technically better than you faster. Um, is taking a lot of the pressure, but also enforcing a lot of the things to go beyond what you think you're capable of. Yeah. And it should have been to reason that if we pushed how we pushed, that those people should be a rubble at the end. And in actuality, after a couple conversations, Mark's really good about this, like the time when people are sometimes most open is after these hard experiences. That's when you, that's when you light them up with the real stuff. That's when you light them up with the ideas will, that will accelerate them out the door. Some of it's criticism of how they handled it, but it's also an answer to why they felt so miserable. So they can go, oh, well, next time... I'll try that and I'll change my facial expression and I'll pick up my posture because those are all signals to myself that I'm not dying anymore. The fetal position is for birth and death. So therefore, if I stay away from those, maybe I can do this better next time. That's acceleration. Now I still did the same workload, same stuff, but I took the time to instill that, hey, there's some wisdom in your effort, not just this is um, Sisyphatic effort. Mm. Sisyphean. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. But it's also Sisyphatic you, as in it's a, a a disease of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but but it also like as if you just end the workout and you gotta shove them out the door to make room for the next group that yeah. comes in without allowing that moment, that, that period, however long it takes, because you know, to to set up the conditions whether you have a direct pipeline into <laughs> you know, the unconscious mind, mm. which is ultimately what you're trying to do is just like okay i need to put him through this thing in order to break down the walls so that they can actually hear yeah or maybe see when you're using someone else as an example you know demonstrate something for them or whatever in the end and i think it's it's just like you know that that thing of of oh we only have one hour okay well now we only really have 45 minutes because it's going to take me 15 minutes it's going to take them once they're done with the training 10 minutes to come down and then i'm going to need five minutes to deliver the lesson of the mm -hmm. day so oh but then we gotta we're gonna lose 10 minutes up front because they can't get started because they just need to bullshit and socialize with each other and blah blah and then suddenly you're into you're in this zone of like having you know only 20 minutes of actual training and yeah and if you're if you're not very good at like sort of uh organizing time or steering people or get it, you know, ushering them along into the, um, into those final 15 minutes, man, people just not, uh, evolve <laughs> at the rate at which they are capable. Um, because you as the trainer and you as the trainer in the environment that you have created is actually the person that's potentially holding them back. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's interesting. You talk about actually like the class management, time management, and just being able to control a room are actually mm. skills that are some of the hardest for people to adopt, but actually have the biggest bang for their buck. And I've seen a lot of really good technical coaches um, struggle with that because they kind of haven't figured out their rhythm in the class and like kind of their persona, if you like, who, the, who they are supposed to be kind of playing. Yeah. Um, and it's something that, you know, it's probably one of my strongest skills is I wasn't the most, I'm, I still like, still not the most gifted when it comes to understanding 
the stimulus or understanding kind of like some of the movements and some of the ways to build and structure workouts. But one of the things I, because I practiced it a lot in my previous job, was controlling rooms and building lesson plans and, and, and asking questions and getting people to engage. I could control the room and the environment quite well. Um, but it was it was it was one of those things that I, every time I, like every time I had a good class I wanted to perfect and I kind of was like damn I didn't do that as well as I could have done and I didn't do that as well as I could have done um, and that in itself is a craft that um, you know if I went and did a class now and took class I'd be like oh, I nailed that oh that was really rusty like you know and but without even getting into did I coach that person's movement right did I give them the cue that they needed like that is there's so much complexity that goes into running an hour that again, if you're smashed or your energy's not right, it's so hard to to evoke the right the right response from. Yeah, and unfortunately, you can't actually. I mean, it's a it's a it's a skill of a pretty high order mm. for which you you know the expression of which you, I mean, you you can't earn a living commensurate with the actual skill that is being applied mm. and it's not that you know you said you know someone who's technically proficient at the lifting and who understands maybe the competitive aspect of this or that but um then, then you get in that situation where you're you have to be a sociologic uh, a sociologist in a way or you know to, to to manage the various personalities and how they interact together and this and that and all of these things and just like man i'm taking fairly high skill levels from a number of different things mm. combining them into this very strange compressed time frame and trying you know there's just and i'm leaving the gym you know thirty dollars in the black <laughs> like oh that wasn't it can never if, yeah if it's a financial thing can never be worth it and i think mm -hmm. it's almost like it's almost best to have you know hobbyist coaches mm -hmm. in a way just because well the, the term amateur isn't what people generally think that it, it doesn't mean like novice it doesn't mean bad at or beginner it means for the love of mm. and i think that like being an amateur just expressions that i'm not dependent on it for an income yeah, and that yeah. might produce the most genuine exult because all these levels of complexity that we're talking about have only been really dealing with how the coach interacts with the client but especially in a like high price city like london there's another level of interaction that most people forget about and that's the owner of the gym's interaction with the coaches and the client yeah so there's something and this is where it gets hard to like figure out because in physics there's something called the three-body problem okay right so uh if i take a pendulum I can, I can predict, given an input-output, where that pendulum will make marks on a piece of paper or, or swivel. I can kind of, you know, uh, the ellipse that it makes is really easy to figure out, given the forces of, of you know, Newtonian physics. A two-body problem is also pretty easy. Like, given the input and the accuracy, I can tell where these, and it'll look a little bit more chaotic, but a three-body problem is impossible. So you add a third variable to any situation. <laughs> and this is why I, br I bring it up yeah. because it, to me, it matches coaching perfectly. I go, oh yeah, the client comes in with this. That's controllable and it's expected. And I come in with this. Therefore, together we have a two body problem. How we interact is, you know, based on our input outputs together. But we throw a third in there and it's chaos. It's economics. It's any soft science. It's anything that is uncontrollable. And this is one of the things like, rarely we're always talking about the client and the coach interaction but rarely are we talking about how this whole thing is facilitated through the gym ownership 
coach client interaction. Yeah. That becomes the hardest thing because, and this is why I thought it was an like a very, um, I don't know, uh, this subject hits dead on this because watching your situation, how you came in through the love of this whole process, wanting to learn, being curious. And the reason you might've gotten out of it is because there was no control for this third thing, which is you need to be able to survive and do this thing. And living in London, it cannot be, you can't be an amateur. Yeah, It has it, to be a profession. Yeah, it's really difficult to make a living. So it, it isn't, it isn't. Like I know some really successful coaches. Sure. They're really good at coaching. They make good money. But the type of coach I wanted to be and the type of person I am, I found it very hard to make enough money to sustain the way I wanted to coach. Mm. Um, uh, and that's, you know, there were some definitely things I failed at. Like I, I understand that I also went through, like I had my mum passed mm. like kind of halfway through my coaching career. And if I like anyone listening that's kind of in coaching or whatever, dealing with something like a bereavement, especially someone who's very, um, uh, what's the word? Like I'm a practical person kind of do, I'm a doer to kind of get stuff, get through shit. So I just chucked myself into work, which was the completely worst thing I could do. Cause all I did was bury myself in other people's kind of stuff. Um, which I basically was like a shell of who I am. Like everyone was like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, nothing. Yeah. Um, uh, and I didn't tell anyone, so no one knew. And I just kind of like, apart from some of the people that I worked with, so I just kind of plowed on. Um, it was like a perfect storm. And it basically just highlighted to me that I, like, I wasn't getting the financial reward for doing what I really wanted to do. And now no longer was I getting the emotional reward for doing what I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, we were talking about this earlier when we got food. It's also it, like, it's, you don't, there's no security in it. It's, it. You are kind of like living hand to mouth a little bit in terms of paychecks and um, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a, like like almost again, the three the three variables. It's it's really hard to make it a sustainable thing where you can, you can do it for the love of doing it. You end up having to chuck away some of the, the love of it and do it for, you know, try and make money out of it. And that's, I think that's where a lot of coaches get caught up into now. It's like, well, I did it for the love and that didn't get me very fast so and I need, need to be a bit more selfish and do it for the money and um and it's it's really like I don't really know what the answer is to that like I've always I find it kind of interesting listening to you guys talk about like, how, like working with actors mm. and how you took away the money and then it became a bit more of an easier ba thing to balance but um yeah it's it's something I don't really know what the answer is and I guess kind of a question back to you two is what how you think you can make it sustainable for people to do it for the love of, is it just amateur? Well, I think you, uh, to, I mean, off the top of my head, based off of what I've experienced working with every sort of gym payment, whatever, there is something that I guess ma maligns would be like the, the maybe that word doesn't work, but it, it gives you this impression that, yeah, if I'm this genuine person that wants to help people and if I charge for that, um, that makes me some kind of shill for profit. Like I'm mm. profit first. And there, there is that because you, you will see, and this is where it gets weird because um, you'll be a good coach and you'll notice that you're better than other coaches. Like legitimately, like I know more and I'm better at handling humans than other people. Like I feel like my love of this thing should be rewarding, but I'm not willing to do the marketing hype pander to the you know crowd that is paying money like uh, i'm not gonna make those you know 5.99 
get slim in six weeks programs or I'm not going to trick people into like, hey, right now we're doing a six-week transformation challenge. If you jump in this group for $199, blah, 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 blah. There's this idea that if I do that, it'll take away from me. And there's a balance here of where I need to provide something that's valuable for somebody. And that's up to each individual because it has to do with what you can create, I think. Mm. And there's there's this thing where if you stop looking for profit and start looking to create things that make a difference, the inherently, and if you, you can match this timing as the key, like... If I can support myself until that creation comes to fruition and starts to, you know, proliferate with people and people identify how quality and how valuable the thing I am, is providing, then the, the income will come eventually. But mm. most people are too desperate to strike that balance. There, there's no buffer, especially in this world where more people, like the last statistic that I read in the U.S. was that if you have $10 in your pocket and no debt, you are richer than 90% of the U.S., yeah, which is fucking baffling. This doesn't include mortgages, so this isn't even a like, you know, a debt income ratio where every, your thirty year loan is sold into it. That they yeah. take house as out of the equation and any asset. This just has to do with pure debt. And uh, talking to another client, they said in Canada the last statistic was for every dollar that you make, you owe two dollars and twenty four cents. What now? I don't care about that. But what we're looking at is a, a population of people that are desperate. Right, because they have so much liability, and that's what debt is—is is a, yeah. is a liability. It's it's informing my decision. So, the first and foremost thing when I talk about like getting to be in a position where you could do good work is to not be desperate, to not owe creditors or debtors or like. And this is, I mean, in all intents and purposes, fitness is a ledger, yeah, just like an accountant ledger, right? Like. Uh, you, you can only afford so much before you break and you can only be in so far over your head before that, you know, that you drown. Yeah. That pressure, right? Like I owe that thing and I'm paying fucking 24% interest. And why the fuck did I need that? Like mm. that thing looms on you and you don't need it, but we're so busy keeping and, and this is a cultural remark because there is a lot of pressure to keeping up with the Joneses to having a certain lifestyle. Like I have to have a new car and even if it's not a Mercedes Benz, well, fuck, I need the new Hyundai. And guess what? They're 30 grand too or whatever. Mm. There's this pressure to constantly keep up even if I'm not making like it's, our lifestyle is never a reflection of our actual accounting. It's a reflection of how we want to be. And because of credit, we can do that. Now, here's the weird thing with credit that most people don't realize. A credit is what our civilization is built on. And they don't, I don't think a lot of people realize that credit is the idea that our future will be better than right now. It's a bet, right? right. They don't realize that the opposite is that when you are in debt, it's actually guaranteeing that your future is worse than your present because you have to pay for that. Yeah. And that 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 to me represents a big cultural, <laughs> cosmic, universal law of balance, the ledger of debt and credit. And that I think that works for people that fitness. Like you come in and you gotta pay the man with the hammer. And there's But it's it, also and it's also nutrition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a universal rule throughout. Yeah. And um when I see when people first when people first want to get into coaching or I want to be this, honestly, you're teaching somebody how to take care of themselves is really the thing. Yeah. You're teaching them to watch after their body, to eat in a certain manner, not too much, in certain foods, to be very balanced. When in reality, 
I could learn all the exercise movements. I could know all the stuff about nutrition. But if I'm $100,000 in debt, I am leveraged and I have this looming thing of desperation over me. Something is keeping me a hold. It's almost like it's a force that makes you behave in a way that you shouldn't behave. And so, but you don't recognize the influence of that force mm -hmm. in the moment of the doing. Right. Exactly. Right. Like you never, you, you, and we can't understand sometimes why we do things Mm -hmm. or don't. Why I might cheat somebody out of something, or I might, like I might be in a position where like, oh, I'm going to, you know, dip into this or not tell somebody that I took X or these are not people trying to be malicious. It's usually just a underlining pinning of desperation. I need to get ahead. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's very sympathetic in that, in that uh, form. And so when people first get into this business, like the best thing you can do is be the example. You want people to be balanced and take care of themselves. Start in your own means. Yeah. Don't be in debt. Take care of your finances. Don't live beyond your means because in fitness, you can't survive beyond your means. Yeah. And so I think though, like that lesson comes through. It took me a decade to handle my debt because I did a lot of it. Like I put myself in a position where I was desperate and I had to make certain. So this isn't a soapbox thing where I'm like fucking, <laughs> you know, I it, like this was a very hard thing for me to conceptualize. And I am just now able to talk about it because I have finally feel like I've gotten rid of that desperation. Like there's yeah. now nothing looming on me. I can say things, do things, accept clients, fire clients, because I'm not doing things for any other reason than the love of. Yeah. And that that's the purest form of anything that you want to do is being free of any obligation to please somebody. And uh, the answer goes hand in hand with that. Most people do the opposite. They I want this job because I need extra money because I have to pay this thing that I never paid for. Already a bad start. Yeah. You're never going to give people the right answer. And you're a terrible fucking example of balance. And I, so in that regard, because I want this to be, I, I would I would honestly say, and I'll, I'll probably keep this as a rule. I mean, if anybody was to come here and want to learn and wants to be a part of what we're doing, my first questions will be how far in debt they are and how how can we educate or help that person to get out of the situation? And until that happens, you will have no responsibility here. Yeah. Because I can't depend on people that are desperate and making decisions that are unaccountable. You can defend the, you can depend on them to make poor decisions. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's the, that's that's the, the thing the you can depend on. <laughs> Cause, and I've maybe I've just seen it too many times and it, and it, and like, it, it is sad because it's not, it's not necessarily our fault. Like we're never educated to learn about credit in the real way. We don't yeah. know what APR is. And I mean, we might in some mathematics or statistics class, but in reality, we don't know how people are taking advantages of our wants and desires and needs and leveraging that against us for the monthly bill. Or, you know, the perfect example is like when you go buy a car in the US, how much can you afford monthly? What? No, what's the price of the car? No, we'll make it work. Don't worry about it. Yeah. What can you afford monthly? Well, that price is not the real price. Yeah. It doesn't take into consideration the cost of the tires. It doesn't take into consideration the cost of maintenance. It doesn't take into consideration that sometimes shit happens, your car's a fucking lemon, and it fucking blows up. Like, if you have no buffer for that, you are desperate. And yeah. now I'm in a position where I'm scared, 
I mean, legitimately frightened for my life because I don't know how to pay my bills. And now I'm out of an automobile that blew up that I still have to pay for every month. So it's not about what the co- what the sales price and paying for public transportation to get to the job that you know, I have to do in order <laughs> yeah. to manage the debt or whatever. I mean, I think, Michael, we were talking about this mm-hmm. in the context of endurance the other day of, mm. of like one of the benefits of of, you know, a, a long relationship with endurance sport, for example, or, or whatever, at least an attentive relationship with it is is in um, learning uh, to project what is going to happen in the future yeah. and to either, you know, to keep the thing in your back pocket or to behave in a different way now in order to either, you know, um, uh, prevent, ev- avoid, or foster these things that you can see that, that will be happening in the future. That look, I can't, I can't go all out right now mm. because what's going to happen two hours from now? He's, you know, how much does the tank go down? I mean, I'd like to go into any event thinking I have a, a limitless, you know, fuel tank, but it's just not true. Yeah. And so there's this, there's this thing that I think the endurance aspect, or even the like we were talking before about hockey, is like, man, you're you're good to go all out, or, you know, go really darn hard for a minute, but now you need. But only because you are expecting or you, 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 you have uh, adapted to this idea of like, go hard for a minute, rest for two minutes, go hard yeah. for a minute, rest for two minutes, go hard for a minute, rest for, you know, go get in people's way for a minute yeah. and then come rest two minutes while somebody else, you know, maybe uh, takes advantage of that, you know, those conditions that you just set up or whatever. Yeah. But if you, if you go hard for a minute and then you only get a minute rest and then you go hard for a minute and you only get a minute rest and you go hard for a minute and you have to go hard for another minute without any rest in between. Wow, now this is all of a sudden, the, you know, the, these unforeseeable things or the stuff that you haven't prepared for or adapted your consciousness to um, that it, it, it's now I can't predict the outcome down the road yeah. because this uncontrollable stuff is happening right now. And so, I, you know, to, to, to come out of you know having trained people for a really long time and and realizing like wow there there are certain lessons that we have all learned by participating in this in a somewhat self-aware way and attentive and we ask questions all the time and you know critique each other and accept criticism from each other um to understand that wow these several of these things that we have learned through these processes um uh, really applicable to other stuff in life, but, yeah. I, but I can't get the person who walks in the door and wants a six weeks transfer, transformation to understand that. Like it's been the, the last thing that should be talked about is that is some higher order or higher level benefit from, you know, full participation um, in these activities. It's, it it's so, but, but somewhere down the road, you do get to talk about it. It just, it's just not going to be when you're trying to sell the person that fifty dollar a month membership and do give me your credit card info. So yeah. if you lose interest, I don't. I, I've always <laughs> loved like uh, Berkey has this thing who owns um, Station Five One Five. He's been on here and he'll he will be helping us with our next uh, symposium. He has this. Uh, he does not do reoccurring charges, so he loves the uncomfortable nature of asking people for money, which is. Th- awesome to me like that is the total reason why i will always love that guy is because he always finds a re and and the expression of it is not the bad thing that people think like oh we have to talk about money now people are gonna be Mm. weird he goes hey uh gym dues are due it's due by this date i can take your payment right now or after the class and what happens is that forwardness that honesty and 
people are always evaluating the worth of his place. It, it actually has the opposite effect of what people do. People think like, oh, they're going to hide from it or they wouldn't know. It reasserts that there's a lot of value in his place. So the conversation is normalized. And now people are having an open conversation about yeah. what this is, what the value of this building holds and the association with the learning experience. Like, I don't know how far he's gone into the psychology of what this has done for him, but as opposed to how most people make riches, which is like, man, if I can charge them five bucks a month and they don't notice, like... You know, and they don't show up, so they don't question it, and it just comes out without me yeah. touching anything. I, if I do this to enough people, I have a massive income. Instead, it comes back to actually, if I go forward, hey, uh, my training is worth this, and your your ability to be here is going to cost you this. You can pay on this date, and I will ask you every thirty days. That's a different. That's a different way about going about it, and and it's not sneaky. It's not, and I think a lot of the situations people find them in financially are because of sneakiness. Yeah, Companies say like, oh, you can afford this or just get a lease on a vehicle or just do these kind of terms. You can afford it or sign up for this thing. It's this much monthly and don't worry, we won't even tell you about it. We'll just keep billing you. That's a symptom of a fucking disease that will infect our culture, which now is we don't understand what our means are. Mm. And I, I would go ahead and wager this is a totally fucking hypothetical, but... I do not know a successful endurance athlete that lives beyond their means. And there's some correlation between those two. The best rock climbers live in vans and eat like very low footprint and do this lifestyle thing. And people are like, oh, they're bums or this. No, it's just that their activity costs them like time. And that time has to be made up somewhere. Right, So they don't have extravagant houses, generally speaking. They don't have these things. And same thing with endurance ethics. I, I just think it's a correlation towards also the, the activity that they participate in. They're thinking about the future is actually what it comes down to. And they're projecting that, okay, I have this much now. I need this much at the end. There's no difference in doing finances about, okay, I make this much. This is what my overhead is, and this is what I can afford to still get my thing. And I don't, I don't know if that's true. It could be total bullshit. But from my anecdotal experience, is like endurance athletes seem to be very good with like figuring out finances. I don't know why, other than that correlation. Interesting, interesting correlation to re resource <coughs> and football resource players ownership. are fucking terrible, <laughs> right? And they have logically way more access to more money. You even talk professional NFL players yeah. because they get these large much like the activity is high doses of high intensity, you know, 13 second, 10 second, maybe 20 at the most, these plays that are so intense and so violent and then nothing for like five and a half minutes and they do that for four hours. Well, their contracts and their monetary gain is almost identical. They get millions of dollars paid out in one thing and they're not thinking that this career only lasts two years. They're thinking, I have a million bucks, I'm gonna buy a $2 million house because next year I'll make the other million and pay it off. It's like, mm, I don't think it works like that. Yeah. And you see so many football players in so much trouble. Same thing like the MC Hammers of the world. Yeah, man, you had like $40 million at one time. Didn't think that would be taxed, did you? Or like you just yeah. saw the big number and then went and bought the stuff that goes with that. And all of these things, like these efforts that you get you know, compensated for. And so, I mean, long story around this big hypothetical that's going through my head, because I've been thinking about it a lot lately, about this specific subject. Because it does make me sad that like, someone like yourself that comes to it from a good paying job, like a career, notice the power that you had over yourself, mm. wanted to share that with other people, 
found out that you couldn't actually afford to help other people. Yeah, right? and it's true. I mean, I'm like, and I knew all of this before I got mm -hmm. into it. And this is another thing that I kind of topic to raise, but um, I invested a lot of my money to mm -hmm. do the thing. Like I didn't get paid for, I don't know, like actually I got money, I got paid, but I, I like on a balance sheet, I didn't yeah, actually yeah, get yeah, paid yeah, yeah. for like the first, I don't know, six months or something. And the, and the gym were really transparent about their, mm -hmm. this. And I, I liked the idea, I, the reason I bought into it was the idea that I was buying into it, if you mm -hmm. know what I mean. Like, and I, and I respected that. I respected that I want, like they wanted you to, uh, feel like it's valuable and also I was getting educated like I you know there was a transfer of I wasn't just getting you know paid money I was getting paid in in knowledge like the stuff that I learned you know when I got exposure to meet yourself and mm -hmm. and now sit here and you know through that so it gave me way more um than money but but it didn't allow me to live effectively. Mm -hmm. That that was the trade-off was that, yes, I got loads in return for the, the money I invested and stuff that I'll never forget. And it's priceless if you like, but but the trade-off was that I couldn't actually sustain. It's unsustainable. Yeah, I can sustain that. Um, and you know those there and and there are people that do so it's difficult to say oh well you just didn't work hard enough you didn't grind hard enough to kind of do the thing because um, there are people that do and i like i you know i'm still still in contact with some of them and friends with some of them and i um respect the hell out of them for being able to do that i just couldn't and you know so again some people would be like well you know you weren't cut out to do it maybe i wasn't but um yeah it, it, i i like it it's something that i um, I'm sad about in a lot of ways. Like I would love to still be able to coach people, and my poor girlfriend unfortunately gets gets the brunt of that. So whenever we're in a gym space or even out of a gym space, I'm constantly coaching her, and she's like, "Can you just not coach me? <laughs> like, can you just can you just stop?" And I'm like, "No, no, like, I, I can't. Yeah, I can actually, never switch yeah, this yeah. off. Unfortunately, the like, can of worms has been opened, and it will never it's go." A compulsion. Yeah, it, it totally is, and it's really. I I have my friends. If any of them again listen to this, and I. Then I've had conversations with a few of them about this, that sometimes I lived with a friend of mine and I coached him like just all the time, poor guy. Like he was just like, <laughs> I, I'd, be, I'd be, sometimes I'd almost be a bit mean to him because I was, this is what you need to go and do the thing that I know that will end up getting you to where you wanna be. And I found like, you know, and then sometimes I get it completely wrong and you have to kind of reflect and be like, why did I say that to them? That was not what they needed at that time. But I'm almost to your point when you say you say you say something mean about them. You're just you, like if you saw a a car that was missing a wheel nut or something, and you knew it was broken and you knew you had to fix it, you would be like, "Oh, I need to fix that." It's the same yeah. when you see individuals that you feel like they need some, you know, some guidance mm -hmm. or some help, and you try. You're only doing it because you're like, "I can see that needs some attention." I maybe don't know how to fix it, but I know if I get the spanner in the right place and I take the the wheel yep. a new wheel nut, I can probably fix it somehow. Um, <laughs> do you know, and it's mm -hmm. a kind of simplistic way of putting it, but I kind of have that, you know, whether I'm good at it or not, I kind of have that going all the time when I see situations or people or stuff. I'm like, how do I how do I help make this better? How can I fix this? Um, right, I'll just start at the beginning and see how we get on. And, and I like working with others to do that. I'm kind of a, mm -hmm. again something that I self evaluated was that I'm someone that likes come from coming from a team background of hockey i like collaboration mm -hmm. to to solve problems i'm not one of those people and again this was the tr really hard thing about coaching was that it's a 
kind of individual discipline a lot of the time like unless you're really lucky and you work with people that really get you and get the way you coach it's an individual discipline and it's quite hard to sometimes be that self-starter and I was someone that needed like um we talked about Ozzy who was my kind of mentor and coach um when I started um he left the gym and as soon as that happened it like uh, like a lot of it kind of changed for me mm. um because I lo lost my collaborator um and that was really <sighs> difficult as well yeah i <laughs> i'm just thinking about i you just brought up my own like my own experience with that, that when you lose like the part that sustained you and made made everything feel stable it yeah. really unwinds and causes all these questions and i guess most people don't survive past that like that that's a really hard part and i think the only reason i did is because i didn't have any options yeah. Like and that's some of the some of the reasons why I was able to maintain and be in this business was not because I was so good and hustling and grinding. So I didn't have a fucking choice. Like I, I I'm not going to go back and do hair again. Like I'm <laughs> not going to, you know, because that industry takes honestly quite similar aspects, building a clientele, communicating with people, all the same things. And once you ditch them, you're starting over again. Yeah. I and, it's the reason I always tip a buying barber. Yeah. Like right. I always tip tip them because I'm kind of mm -hmm. like um, you, I the craft that goes into cutting hair. Mm -hmm. There is like there is a craft in everything you do, but they have to sit there and talk to people that they maybe don't like and like and you it's know an energy suck. Yeah, for I was like I've sure. coached people. You never the coach never gets tipped if they do a great job. I'm like I'll always <laughs> tip my barber. Um, you know, uh, looking at my hair, you might be like really, but yeah, no, I do. Um, uh, but yeah, I think I, I, for that very reason, I think it's you know important to let people know that they kind of you know did like. They give they the value that they passed over even cutting hair like makes you feel good about yourself or whatever yeah it is and it is kind of i mean this uh, we talk about it kind of often because i think coaching will remain an unappreciated thing because for every success you have it will be the person who made that successful but for every loss you have you will be responsible for that loss like whether that's a you know physical thing like the person didn't win the challenge or they didn't do good in competition, your fault because you didn't mm. prepare them. But if they do succeed, not your fault. Like you. Yeah, not, not, your, not because of you. Right. You, yeah. You're a guide. You, you might have helped and given some sage advice at times. In fact, in all intents and purposes, at the highest level, the guide is responsible to getting them to that level. They're quieting the voices and they're doing certain things. And the, it's not when people are usually, you know, upset that maybe you know, the best athletes in the world, their coaches are just some guys that weren't necessarily good at the sport themselves. Uh, the Bill Belichick's and the Michael Phelps coach was like, not a really good swimmer. They have something else that they're doing that's making that successful. But ultimately the athlete is the one who does it. And now if they fail, everybody like the coach gets fired yeah. like you know bill belichick's maybe not now but he would be gone in an instant if they failed on producing what results he can actually guarantee like any any situation like that so it's an unappreciative occupation to start with so that that's why you have to get into the like well the if it's unappreciated how is it compensated and if we can't figure out how to compensate it fuck it's not going to be viable for very many people mm. unless you and, and this is where we go with it is like no wonder it's so full of charlatans because that's one of the only ways to make it viable yeah. is to just sell people shit that they don't need or you know give them the impression that anything is possible and that this is a big fucking scam like is when it comes down to it so 
that's why it gets really sad because you're going to be out vocalized by the opposite of what you're teaching people. And you have to show up in the same package as though as that is the competition. I offer physical training, nutrition advice. We do purely, you know, I can't claim any medical things or psychological things or esoteric things in the metaphysical or whatever, you know, transcendence. But I have to somehow take that premise, pretend we're the same thing, and then do my craft and somehow compensate it for it. And then you without making false promises. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But what what worries me about that a little bit is that you see a lot of and hope and and hopefully the you know the gym space is big enough that, 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 that this won't happen. But my worry is that some of the gyms that genuinely give people uh purpose, drive, like, you know, give them tools to to like um survive or look after themselves don't end up getting pushed out by the ones you know just giving the beat downs where you get the endorphins and you're like man that was amazing because i worked at a place that you know other pe- people would like oh no i want to do the big like i ran an assault bike class which was basically a 20 minute just like get after it grindy session mm. it was quite popular for about a, m- a bit of time because people just wanted to be a sweaty mess on the floor but that's not that's not sustainable it's not you know you go everyone goes through this fitness journey but you get to the point where you're like oh i kind of get it i'm starting to get it now hopefully hopefully yeah the graduation path out of that particular class like where do you get once once that becomes unsustainable for the for the you know certain number of participants you know what's the next step and i think people don't assault bike anonymous (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) I feel like I need to set up a group now, at least online or something. That would be hilarious. Go find that assault bike and tell tell it you don't really hate it. (laughs) That you were sorry for the things you said. It was kind of a very passionate moment. Yeah, there's definitely a few few people I've coached that I feel like I may need to reach out to and be like... (laughs) I got you a challenge coin. Yeah. Yeah. But, But I think like... designing some sort of trajectory of like out of one sort of experience. Yeah. We need to have the high intensity thing, you know, cause once like the, the person that comes into the, you know, the, the, the the non-machine based training space or whatever Mm. you call it, you know, you get them to deadlift first because people make it super progress right away and they start feeling pretty good about themselves. Okay. But you better fucking have a plan for when, you know, three months down the road, six months down the road, that stops working. They start, they stop making what they perceive to be satisfactory progress. What's Mm. the next step? Oh, maybe it's the, you know, it's well, now that we've just been working on strength, you know, you need to learn how to breathe. You need to, you know, develop the, you know, the aerobic capacity. And so then we need to, um, you know, then you have the assault bike class or, you know, whatever it is. And then, okay, but what happens after that, when that runs its course? And if you don't have that plan, then the people are going to leave and go looking for the next thing Mm. that, that will also be a short duration. It'll burn hot and fast, and then they'll be on to the next thing or whatever. And and I think one of the things, if we were talking about sort of the business model of an, I would, you know, if, if, if I was a gym owner and all I had was the gym and not, and then I don't know, I, I don't believe I could make that be a viable business because the only way that I could figure out how to do it. Okay. If I need to give, you know, the amount of time and energy that I'm going to put into the people I am training, um, they can't afford to pay for that. So I have to figure out how to pay myself in some other way. And, and so not only with what we have going on, you know, here is that look, it's subsidized by the production of other hmm. stuff. Mm. Um, and 
you know, at my old organization, it was the same thing. The gym was paid for. It was underwritten by other stuff, whether that was, you know, and, and initially it was, okay, there's the, it's the stuff that's behind the paywall. It's this other, you know, this, but it's, it, it, it is, you know, we're, we're selling the out, you know, the, the results of other, you know, creativity in order to subsidize another, to, to allow me to spend two hours with the group that paid for an hour of my time. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I don't, so it almost comes back to for the love of, mm. and I gotta, and I gotta make them, you know, earn the living over here. And this is how I'm going to spend my, you know, I, and then I can afford to spend my creative energy here or afford yeah. to train people who can't afford to pay or wh- however it's going to be is because it's underwritten by this other output. But, but the, the, from the surface, it's, that's not seen. Like somebody that, that walks in the door, they don't they don't get it. They don't see all the stuff that's going on. And maybe it is like, maybe Berkey's way is the best way is mm. you know to sit down and go like, okay, look, this, you know, we're gonna have a, a conversation each month about the value you are receiving from this place. And if you're willing to trade money for that, then, you know, we know that it's then we both know that you you have um, received some value. Yeah. In, in this, but if you're not, if you're hesitating, if you need to have it sneakily taken out of your account, then then you know the organization is not providing a value, and it shouldn't fucking get paid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's not much different than I mean. There, there's a time where if you do classic cutting, like in the um, we're back to the hair business. Yeah, in the okay. traditional <laughs> sense. And I thought you were talking about Dustin Kelly. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, if you if you if you do uh, traditional hair cutting. Um, a haircut for like a classic triangular graduation, the bitch Bob that you've seen, like everybody's seen that. That is a four hour haircut, like legitimately. And I've taken four hours to do it when I trained a Vidal assistant. That's what they train you to do. This wow. is a perfect, this is expertise. This is what structure looks like. You take that, right? And then you know the process now. And then you go back to your space. And if you're going to make money, you're not going to do it by doing a four hour haircut. Yeah. Right, because how much can you charge for that? Now, I was on the upside of charging for haircuts. I charged one hundred and ten dollars for a haircut, which at the time was unheard of. But I wanted to a, I wanted to take my time and I wanted to be able to do what I do. And there's some other things that go with that. Um, but for the most part, when you actually get into the okay, now I'm not making very much money because an eight hour work day, I work with two people, yeah, or whatever. And maybe maybe there's I mean, three if, sit, if you really hustle and grind like four hours to get that haircut right. as well. Who, like you know, especially in today's society mm-hmm. where instant gratification, you're and like, I want to be an in and out in an hour. The the difference is um, the difference between a 45 minute haircut that's exactly the same cut, just not as precise maybe one percent of the population would notice other Mm -hmm. than that it's just you like it's just your own ego you know you know you didn't do the good job or you didn't know it wasn't perfect and so there's this balance between perfection and you know the highest level of your craft and there's also well this person will not be at any loss if i just give them an hour and a half yeah okay so i've already chopped myself off but is that integrity so these are just self-generated questions that i've always had over business versus craft and then it becomes like if you look at the most successful hairdressers man they are really they're doing haircuts in 20 minutes even the best and they're back ending them so we do something called double booking so i have you know a client sit down my assistant washes shampoos and brings it back i cut them and then while my assistant 
uh, dries and styles, I go to the next one that was shampooed while they were sitting there and I cut and I do this little ring thing. Like production now, line. Yeah, effect now else. I'm a fucking conveyor belt. And if we throw color in there, now I'm jumping back and forth. And what I've always tried to maintain is to not ever get into that trap with training, to not yeah. ever be like one thing to the other. And, that, and that's which is easily done as well when you're sure. trying to get a load of people through a gym space as well like yeah. some gyms are, you know the gym i'm at the moment i've got 300 members mm -hmm. and i'm like just how Ouch. like yeah. it's like i mean they, they do you know a great job what they do they do really well it's mm -hmm. a cool gym but i'm like 300 members like how do you cater to everyone's needs and you don't eventually there's a yeah. there's a tipping point right so for everything when quality starts to wane people will notice and there'll be what we call the conveyor or, or the uh, reciprocal of that right yeah. the churn rate is at which how many people can i handle till the quality goes down is generally what businesses fucking act like and that's bullshit because they're not generating, they're not creating things that are of value. They're actually trying, they're devaluing what their product is into the point where people notice. And then now I don't have to invest so much time. So this goes into ever. I mean, this is arguments into capitalism, basically. Yeah. But there, there has to be a point where you, where hopefully what you offer um, is valuable to the person and anything above it, they actually don't notice. Mm. is kind of where I'm going with that. And and then if you can maintain that, then you can build upon that. And then, and that's totally up to each individual person, but when when we were I had to play the whole game um when we were looking at buying that CrossFit gym and you know, I took all the classes, did all of the things <laughs> for every day. And I had, I lasted about 2 weeks before I let, I I just couldn't keep my eyes open. But what I noticed about it was that um in that environment, what had been structured there, the kind of clientele that they had nobody actually appreciated the fine details. They didn't actually want, especially the 6 a.m.ers, those motherfuckers, they're going to be there anyway. They're tapping themselves on the back because they're up at five in the morning. They've already got their benefit, which is pretending that they're doing the hard work. The hard work is actually making progressions, which they'll never do because they're too fucking tired to do it. But for the most part, I, I was just kind of in awe that like people actually don't want to get better wait, wait, for the wait, most wait. part presence does not guarantee progress weird <laughs> they were there for sure and if i gave them some a learning curve kind of deal like hey today is skill work fucking furious yeah like the amount of uh, complaints that i got when we have like a skill day hey no guys calm down we're just going to develop because you guys are shit you guys can't even do a handstand you can't even do half of the moves in crossfit that are required you have no business going hard yet there was nothing but backlash from that and then it was like, oh, okay. So, and I was again one of those mm -hmm. people. I've like literally like every everything I've like ticked off the list. Sure. I'm like, yep, yep, I've done, I've done that. I was yeah. this six a.m. I did half five for a bit as well, and yeah. you know, was just like smash myself against the wall and you know all that good stuff. And it's um, it, it's it's really fun. Like I was actually end up being thankful for being that person mm -hmm. in the gym because it made me recognize it and understand it more. And kind of I I know I did that because I'm you know addicted to this thing and you know I'm, this is how i flex that and you know most teaching moments are just <laughs> like any good teacher are just a representation of pitfalls that you've fallen in yourself yeah and not a soapbox in which to preach but something to share with somebody based on experience like and from a humble place like hey just so you know i've, I've, I've i see where you're at and i can appreciate uh, it's an empathetic call yeah. right like 
I know how you feel about waking up and doing this and not making progress. And I want to tell you, like, there's a different way. And there's where, like, there's where coaching begins is from empathy and experience, not yeah. from expertise and ego. Which is hard. It's a really hard tone to get right. Mm. Like, again, it's hard to develop that tone and that language to, mm. to not come across as like, Wow, my, but I was I was being humble, and it's like you were not being humble. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is not humble. Yeah, um, it it does it starts with H and U, but <laughs> the the third letter is not M. <laughs> <laughs> it is yeah, it's 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 kind of a who knows what I mean. I I have my pessimism about where this culture is going. Um, I think the antidote for a lot of a lot of the like ills of society have to do with physical um presence mm. like under like in every aspect social otherwise like there is almost nothing that can be miscommunicated in person right like i just don't well, it can but like compared to how many things go fucking awry over text message or message or yeah. just commentary on on life so we're we're losing that interaction and then there's almost I would hate to say this, but they're, they're like trying to learn how to move your physical body through space can teach you infinitely more things than other practices. And I think I don't see it going in a good direction, but I'm hopeful that there's some people that are noticing those kind of things and being, you know, hey, we should get outside and we should do this. And, you know, it's not just about gym movement. It's about this movement out here. And it, like pointing people out the door, well, getting people in the door and then pointing them out the door is the job of like a good guide, a good coach. And I don't even know if I like the name coach because I've always had a problem with it. Yeah. But for the most part, it's, you know, a good guide to me. Like somebody who can, from experience, show somebody a destination from A to B. And then after that, you can decide what you are. Yeah, for sure. I, I think one of the things that I try and practice and I think that comes into it is asking questions and, and listening to answers. Because I think that that's it. One of the things, again, a pitfall I fell into was, as coach, was I was giving answers rather than rather than <laughs> looking for them. And actually, you should only be looking. Mm. The the conclusion I came to was actually all I should be looking for is answers. Like, how do you feel about that? You know, how did that make you feel? What did you get from that? And then, then the other thing, just to kind of add on to that, was I think it's it's really hard to get outside your comfort zone, especially in this day and age. I think you guys have talked about this again, like not wanting to fail, feel failure or like, you know, fear kind of, like this morning, for instance, mm -hmm. we went to jujitsu, which mm -hmm. is awesome. I've never done jujitsu before. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to do it. And then you kind of went, yeah, cool, we're going. And I was like, oh, my uh -oh. brain did that thing of like, oh shit, danger. Like, uh, <laughs> like I, I, I'm gonna go, so this is gonna be weird. I'm not gonna know how to do anything. I don't know anyone. It's like a whole new experience. And I was like, but that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. and, and I kind of was like, no, of course, of course I'm going to go. Yeah, it's going to be great fun. And it was wicked. Mm. But so many people, and, and again, this is coming from a place where I can, I have been present with that thought that I would like, I know what I'm doing and I still did it anyway. And I think that that's difficult for a lot of people to get to is kind of like being present in the moment and the mind to be like, oh, actually I should do the thing that scares me because that's what's going to yield the result. Mm. Um, and then, you know, try and ask some questions and get some answers. And I think things. one thing to sort of circle back on the, you know, visiting other gyms mm. kind of thing um, is is not only seeing how they do stuff, but I, I always found it really beneficial to listen to the questions that were being asked by the clients of the mm. trainer. 
mm-hmm. or of each or, or to each other when the trainer wasn't there because okay I didn't want to, I didn't, I was too embarrassed to ask the guy so yeah. I'm gonna ask the person next to me who I'm not embarrassed to you know show my ignorance once the guy whose respect I'm trying to earn is you know out of earshot or whatever I mean but it's it's listening to those questions and what okay what is it that people um, seek what are the what what are these what are the problems that they're trying to solve and I and and it's it, it's something that because you know we field some questions by email obviously or you know direct message or indirect message via the social media and that sort of thing just like wow we have really done a done a if these are the questions that you know if this is someone who's been in you know our orbit let's say of Michael mm-hmm. and I and the, you know the stuff that we've been talking about for a number of years um, and if, if somebody's been in that orbit and they're still asking this question then we need to communicate better and as we were but however <laughs> we were mentioning earlier it's pretty amazing that if we are in the business of communication um that we're remarkably fucking bad at it mm. most and, times and, yeah and, and but it, that's and it's really it's really not an easy sort of thing no for sure i mean that's the great thing about podcasts you talked a little bit about mm. how we we communicate and it's not through text it's like you know like going back to way way back to when i was coaching kind of tech coach training whatever however we want to guys we put paint it in but you know you have kinesthetic audible and 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 visual kind of um written learning and we learn through expression facial expressions and 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 then through through the word like the tone and then finally through the words like the words are the last bit that people pay attention to so why are we all trying to learn through text is beyond me like i was terrible at school because of that like i'm I'm a kinesthetic learner Mm -hmm. i learned through doing um i found this out 10 years after i needed it which was great thanks school um but uh (laughs) like great job like i learned that through like my career and doing going through that practice but it's it's yeah it's ba- like and that's a great thing about going and doing something physical is that you end up being forced to learn through the way you're supposed to learn to communicate and the way you're supposed to communicate and um i think you we were having a conversation you were talking about like when you get into that real empty space of like i've got no energy and you have to communicate with another human being you don't talk to them no like it becomes a much more energy mm-hmm. kind of like you look into someone's eyes and you can you know where they're at like Mm -hmm. and there was that test i was watching a darren brown thing that test where you just get two people to look at each other for four minutes and you kind of like they generally break down in some way or they connect in some way and they don't have to say a single thing and it's you know that's that's the little i know about human beings like the us as a species it's all about that physical interaction in some way yeah i think the the farther you can get away from metaphor or abstraction the more direct the lesson is like just purely like the the lesson for me was learning about uh, in this this is a philosophical lesson about a word is not the thing it's a representation of the word so you're one level abstraction so if you use words as a metaphor you're two levels of abstraction so you whenever you process that we're going to levels deep and the people have to in order to really learn the lesson come back out but a physical lesson there is no level of abstraction the thing is the thing so if i say you know that's a dog uh and i point to the word dog it's not the dog itself it's representing the thing Mm -hmm. now in your brain you have to make that correlation but if you feel something as in like jujitsu and that, that was a lot of today was like explaining you know what you're trying to do first 
And then it wasn't about, you know, instruction because you're listening to words. It's about here, put your hand here, feel this, and I'll move my hips. See how you're guarding that? That Now you're actually experiencing the thing, and then it's backed up with abstraction and lessons and parable and, and, and metaphor. Mm. Um, and I think maybe that's, maybe that's just a really good way to learn is to get rid of allegory, to get rid of metaphor, and really touch it's, the thing it's useful as reinforcement maybe mm-hmm. but it's not the lesson right it's not the so, thing itself yeah yeah holy we kind of went in and out yeah so thank you so much for coming here, no man. thank you this guys i been awesome like um again my, my poor girlfriend will testify i like talking so it's always mm-hmm. I li- and i like the art of podcasting so thank yeah. you very much and uh, like i said uh, you know since we met there's been in, in and out kind of influences from from both of you guys so thanks for having me it's been a pleasure yeah for sure this was it's good. a re- remarkably different <laughs> conversation than I thought was going to happen. So oh, yeah? It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and it, I guess it always yeah. kind of is because, you know, bring our preconceptions with us as, as, as much as we try to avoid having them. Mm. And then... <laughs> we have terrible prediction machines. <laughs> yeah. Here, so. yeah. Perception exactly. is reality as well, so I was once told. So <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> That's pretty good. Thank you very much, Giles. No, thanks. It's awesome yeah. having you Thank here. Thank you. It was yeah, a pleasure. Thank you very much. Absolutely.